This is not natural darkness. This is a darkness that you'd never seen before. It just weighs on you. And then it just felt incredibly lonely. That's what people are afraid of. It's not the dark, it's what the dark exposes. It was just like seeing another realm, seeing another world. He said all of the signs in the brain scan points to a major shift in consciousness. You increased your voltage 125%. You did what nobody can do in a very short amount of time. We might have to write this up as a paper or do something to let the world know about how you guys changed your brain. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to the Business Method Podcast. Today, we have a very special episode for you. Recently, a couple good friends and I decided to travel to the south of Mexico for a seven-day darkroom retreat. What is a darkroom retreat, you say? Good question, because just a couple months ago, I had no idea myself. Basically, it is seven days in complete darkness and isolation designed for deep reflection, meditation, visualization, visioning, and diving into the depths of our mind. Monks and native tribes all around the world have been using this type of practice for thousands of years and it is uniformly considered to be a technique that can help people overcome trauma psychosis understand vision quests challenge themselves deepen their spiritual practice and understand the inner workings of their psyche and universe better it was no small feat and all of us that went met challenges that we didn't expect we did however want to do the darkroom retreat a little differently than others of the past we brought along a top-of-the-line brain scanner that reports a direct measurement of our brain functioning including the EEG brainwave patterns our brain reactions reactiveness, coherence, cognitive processing and abilities, our visual control, heart rate variability, and the functioning of our autonomic nervous system. This also includes the different frequencies of our alpha, beta, theta, and delta brainwaves and the synchronization of our brain and heart frequencies. This machine read the health of our brains before we went into the darkness and how the darkness affected our brains throughout the process. What were the results, you ask? Well, they're pretty amazing, and you're going to have to listen to the podcast to find out. So we'll see you on the inside of the Business Method podcast. Podcast. Listeners, welcome to the Business Method Podcast. I'm here with my good friend Leon J. Hendricks. And roommate. And roommate, yes, and we're in our new fancy podcasting studio in our house. And um, we are about 10 days out from a seven day darkroom retreat. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's isolation and complete darkness for seven days. And we did this, Leon and I did this, and then our other friend Aaron came along and he joined us and we did this in the south of Mexico, right on the beach in this beautiful little town called Mazunte. It was quite the experience. And so Leon is making a mini YouTube documentary about the experience as he does so well with his other videos. And I wanted to record this podcast, putting the details of what it's like to do a darkroom experience, why we did it, what was it like before the darkroom, why we decided to add some things to a darkroom experience that other people hadn't with like brain scanning and understanding the neuroscience that happened with our brains, the arrival, the ex every single day we'll walk through that and then coming out and then the data that we collected. So we collected data with my whoop band here and then also with my Wavi brain scanner. And Leon and I also, we took a recorder in 
uh, a recorder ended up being our best friends, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> would definitely. you agree? I think I got around closer to four hours of recording. You've got somewhere around three. Definitely more than you. Always, <laughs> always more than you. <laughs> and, and Leon has more than me. But there is so much that I forgot from the experience, literally, the day after that I went back and revisited a recorder and, and learned so much about what I forgot. So, yeah, first, welcome. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm out. <laughs> I mean, we're going to talk about the experience, but uh, this, was, uh, this was rough. Yeah, it was rough for all of us. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was just counting the days, counting the hours. But uh, yeah, I feel I feel good now, uh, and I feel like I've definitely made some changes and had some epiphanies that I've had before, but they've just deepened even yeah. more. And uh, yeah, just getting in touch with these more and, and and seeing the importance of them more was just eye opening. And uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about all of that. So preset why did we do decide to do it and why did we decide to do this how we did it so i was on a forum an entrepreneurial forum and somebody posted about aubrey marcus doing a darkroom retreat and i think i was tagged in it or somebody mentioned my name because i like to study the neuroscience of performance and productivity and and they knew that i meditated a lot and so i read the form the read the post that they put up and I was like, um, that's really awesome what he did. And it actually related to some books that I was reading of Native Americans that had done similar experiences. But my, my opposition or my, my thought at the time was he probably didn't need, like I didn't think at the time we didn't need a dark space for that long to get into these deeper states of mind. So that was what I thought before I listened to the podcast. I also thought it was a cool experience because I've read about a dozen books written by Native Americans um, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And one of the books talked about the Sioux tribe in Wyoming. What they would do to test their boys to become men is build a mud hut that was completely dark, put them in that mud hut, and make them fast and live in that mud hut in complete darkness for as long as they could stand. And so the boy talked about his experience. He did did this when he was about 12 years old. But I also heard about Buddhist monks going into caves. Uh, It actually talks about that on Aubrey's podcast as well. Buddhist monks going into caves and then becoming enlightened or seeing visions because they spent, you know, a week or four days or 10 days in a cave. And so I was like, well, that uh, it, it, it all kind of makes sense. But if we meditate long enough, deep enough, we, we don't really need to go into the dark, right? So then I uh, was going driving from Austin to Kansas City back home to go visit my parents and go to a wedding. And I decided to pop in Aubrey's podcast. And it was literally like 6 a.m. and I'm driving just and I... I start listening to it and it just immediately started clicking like the things that he was saying really resonated with me. And then he got to a part where it was so profound. I just got this state of awe, him describing his experience that I started crying and I had to pause the podcast for literally 20 minutes because I was processing everything that, that I had learned from him just talking about his experience. And so then I played it a little, about 20 minutes later, and I drove some more, played it again, and he said something else that was just like, 
and I was like, I started crying again and I'm just driving, you know, all by myself in this car in the North of Texas. And then I paused it again. I had to just like, I almost pulled over cause I was like, this is really emotional for me. I don't know what's happening. And so I, I paused it again and then I started playing. And I think there was another time that definitely brought up some tears as well. So I'm in the middle of Kansas by the time this podcast is over, right? And I pull over, I'm on a toll road and I pull over in one of those big gas stations and I text you and Aaron and I'm like, guys, I just listened to Aubrey Marcus's podcast about the dark room, blew my freaking mind. And what I related his experience like is I've read probably a dozen books on people having near death experiences and they would describe their experience going fluctuating between going to heaven and going to hell or going to both places or just their experience in the afterworld without using those terms and I was like that's what Aubrey's experience sounds like and I remember you guys were back home and, and you texted me Leon and you said shut the f- up like really <laughs> I was but, getting super excited yeah because Chris was saying it was yeah, sending us this message of like, man, I just pulled, had to pull over. I cried three times. I'm like, what is this podcast about? <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I got super excited. And then, of course, I was like, I'm in. Did you, well, did you listen to the podcast immediately? Or did you think like, I wanted to try this immediately after I told you? Or I just wanted to try it immediately. Yeah. And it actually took, I think I listened to the podcast to the first half of it uh, pretty early on. And then, uh, yeah, I, I didn't keep on listening for a while, but uh, I wanted to do it. I you knew, you it. just knew you wanted yeah. to do it, yeah. So Leon, with his YouTube channel, does all these really cool challenges and then makes really awesome mini documentaries, like 20 minutes long or so. Tell us real quick some of the other videos that you've made recently. So one of the ones that I did was I did a dry fast, which is basically not, in, not eating and drinking for three days, uh-huh. which sounds crazy, but... If you look into it, there's some evidence that suggests that that could be a good idea. And I just wanted to try it out. And I just like to do self experiments, um, and then just uh, yeah, trying different self help things that that seem a bit crazy, but I just want to document them. And nothing would be fun to try them out. One of them where I yeah injected myself this frog poison, which is called Combo, uh-huh. which is also a purging medicine where you feel like you're dying for 30 minutes because it's just like it just enters your system and you're just in shock. Um, so I did that too, and these were the ones that stood out. But the dark room was definitely the the hardest one. Was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. So we'll talk about that here in a bit. So then I went back home. I was back home, I think, two weeks with my family. And by the time I got back, I was like, Leon, like I've I've looked up all the places that you can do this dark room. I th- I think I'm gonna do it. I can't stop thinking about it. It's just it's like calling to me, literally, and. And so it was probably another week or so after that, I was like, uh, I was thinking about doing it in January and then a friend Paul called and he was like, dude, let's go to Mexico in November. Like I'm coming down through Austin, let's go to Mexico. And so my brain doctor told me I needed a vacation anyway, like a digital detox and I believed him. So I was like, well, let's go to Mexico, hang out on the beach for a couple of weeks. And in the South of Mexico, there's this place that does dark room retreats. There's three of them. So I called them all up. And the one that had the best aesthetics, that's why I chose this one, is the one we picked. And uh, I was like, Leon, I talked to the guy, like, I'm going to do it. Did you talk to him first or did you decide that you're going to come with me before you even talk to the retreat? I like to just outsource things. <laughs> so you, <laughs> and it's like, you outsource to me, right? <laughs> it's vetted by Chris. Yeah. I'm going to focus on my work and just trust his opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was good. I mean, 
I, I am horrible at organizing stuff. I can't even organize my own birthday. Yeah, that's true. It's his birthday tomorrow, actually. Happy birthday to Leon. Yeah, <laughs> yesterday. I, yeah, thank you. Yesterday I had some ideas for, hey, maybe I should do something. In there. <laughs> so, yeah. You're like, we'll take care of that for you. Yeah. So then Leon was in and we started talking about dates. And I think, I don't know if we even solidified dates, but then like a week later, two weeks later, Aaron was just very subtly just shrugged his shoulders and he's like, I think I'm gonna go in the dark room with you guys and so we were like all right we've got a posse we've got our crew and we do a lot of stuff we do everything together anyway so I was extra excited because I I would have went on my own but if I got my buddies there it's even better because we can share the experience I knew Leon would do a YouTube thing on it I'm gonna do the podcast thing on it and so that's how it's set up and and what I liked about Aubrey's podcast is that he was really open about everything that he went through in the dark room and we're going to do that as well but he also tracked his biometrics with his aura ring and i thought that's really cool because he can see his sleep schedule and everything i don't have an aura ring but i had a whoop band and so i was like hey i'll just take my whoop band and see maybe there's something different than what aubrey found out but i have a, a wavi brain scanner that i bought earlier this year and the reason I bought it is because, well, I, I run this event, Get Shit Done Live, and I wanted to have a brain scanner so we could optimize people's brains at the event. And I'd also, I, I got a brain scan myself, and the doctor reviewed it, and he's like, Chris, your brain is burnout. You've, you've got too much shit done in your life, and you have toasted your brain. You've got to detox. You've got to get on the right supplements. And I was like, I was kind of shocked because I have plenty of energy for the most part, but I had been dealing with fatigue for the past three years where once every couple of weeks it would hit me and it would put me in bed for a day or two. And it's gotten better because I was working with doctors. They thought it was parasites for a while. Nobody could really figure out what it was. I was working with doctors in Lisbon and Thailand and in Brazil. And finally I was like, that makes sense. Like I'm just crashing my brain out by trying to do too much stuff this obsession that we have in the Western world of doing more and more and more, it's chaotic and it's stupid. We'll hit burnout or our bodies will shut down or our health will deteriorate in some way if we don't take care of our bodies. And I, I didn't know I wasn't taking care of my brain. I thought I was because I'm a smart guy, but without the proper technology to really scan our brains, we don't know that. So I got a brain scan and I've been working with this doctor, Dr. Brockenshire out of Michigan, who does the brain scans and he has like 15 years in traumatic brain injury. He's a really smart guy, very cool guy that's open to new forms of medicine. And then when I told him about, about the dark room, he was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I was like, I'm going to take the brain scan and we're going to scan our brains before and after and see the results. And we'll talk about those results here in the podcast as well. But I don't know, is there anything, before we start diving into the meat and potatoes, is there anything you feel like we should touch on? Not really. I think that's, that was everything we needed to talk about. Let's get right into it. So one of the things that was really interesting, and, and maybe you might touch on this really quick, is that we did our brain scans before, the day before going into the dark room. You did the day of, I think. Mm-hmm. And what was happening, I'd love to show a picture of you, and I might do this on the video over here, but the frontal lobes weren't communicating very well with the parietal or the temporal lobes in the back. You can see that right here. Front part of my brain's not communicating to the back part of my brain. 
Yeah. Right? Zero. <laughs> no one can. You're like, something is wrong with that. Now, if you don't know what it means, it could be a little scary, but there's, there's solutions to the problem. But the doctor also said it's not really that easy to reconfigure your brain to get those, the front and the back communicating. There's no supplements they can give you or exercise. It's something you've got to do on your own with mindfulness and this sort of thing. So that's all pre dark room. And, and then we, so we, we booked our flights. I spent a couple of weeks in Mexico on the beach, then arrived a day before and waited for you guys to come down. What were some of the, the things you were getting excited about or scared of the, the first couple of days, maybe the week before as you came down and then coming down into Mexico? Honestly, I wasn't thinking about it much before. So like, we're going to do this and um, yeah, it, it'll be next week. And then the flight came closer and then I realized how unprepared I was. <laughs> I felt the similar, yeah. <laughs> and then it just kicked in. Once I got there, it just kicked in. Oh no, we're doing this now. <laughs> oh no, wait, I, I didn't think about this. Wait, hold, wait, I need a, I need a break. Wait, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then it was like, no, we're, we're doing this now. And I was like, oh yeah, I signed up for this. I remember. <laughs> I outsourced it to my future self. It's like, you're going to do this in the future. <laughs> and then, it, yeah, it was me in that, at that point where it was time. And maybe that was good. Maybe it was good that I didn't think about it too much and just went in. Yeah. I, I did the same because I was enjoying myself on the beach and I think it was a, a day or two before I texted you guys and I was like, holy, holy crap, guys, what did, what did we sign up for? <laughs> I'm starting to think about this thing a week in complete darkness, you know, are we going to go mad? Are we going to go crazy? Because that's what most people think of like solitary confinement, people being in solitary confinement and going crazy, literally after being a week in the dark, I can understand how people go through that yeah. um, for sure. But I think we can talk about like things we learned through that process that keeps you headstrong and keeps your mind in the right place during that time. Your guys' flights actually got messed up. So it was a little bit chaotic as well. Leon ended up, you were half a day later, a day later or something. Yeah. Aaron was a day and a half late or something. So we had to move back about half a day the, the time that we went into the dark room which wasn't that bad is there anything else that you went through that not really no no not no. really so Aaron arrived Leon and I hung out for a bit we went to lunch we planned our menus we paid you know got everything paid for and then Aaron arrived in the evening time and we thought it wasn't a good idea that he goes straight into the dark room would just wait until noon the next day until he got settled in and everything yeah. which was a good idea i think and you also want to get used to the room yeah you want to figure out okay where do i put things where are things what's the space like yeah um and yeah that was important definitely and also catching up on sleep for me that was important because mm -hmm. uh, of all the travel stress and yeah, we picked the menus, which basically means we had two meals per day that we scheduled out that would then be delivered to us in a little little box with two doors mm -hmm. that prevented any lights from coming in. I took the easiest route, just like giving the same thing every day. <laughs> it's just like, whatever is easy. Then uh, it was the next day and it dawned on us that it was we it were was gonna time. Do it. <laughs> well, that night actually was something that was really cool is we went to the beach. So we're literally a four minute walk from this gorgeous beach in Mazunte. And it was dark after after dinner, I think. 
and we're walking around and I'm like, guys, I'm, I got to go take a dip, you know, cause it, it, for me, decompressing in the water is just really nice. And, um, we're walking on the sand and the sand starts glowing. What are those things called? Plankton. Plankton. Yeah. And it's like, it was a purple glow, right? Like yeah. they would, we would, everywhere we stepped, the sand would glow around our foot yeah. in these little spots, which was really cool. Yeah. I took that as a good sign. Like, oh yeah, everything's going to be okay. I was like, that's just kind of a cool way to start things off. And then we, we slept, we got up the next morning and got everything settled, prepared. Yeah. And then, then we went in, right? Yeah. We went in. Yeah. Um, we did. It was, the, the nervousness was building up because uh-huh. it was like, when I close that door, then that's it. That's it. That's it for a week. <laughs> do I need to do anything? Did I forget anything? Uh-huh. And it's just like this checklist that you're running through your mind. Yeah. I remember Aaron went in first, then I came down with you to your room. Yeah. We gave him a hug. We were like, good yeah. luck, bro. <laughs> and then, and then, we, went, yeah, and then yeah. we went to your room, we hugged and then, and then, yeah, it was like this weird feeling of like, okay, I'm going to my room now and okay i guess i'm just gonna close the door then and then just sit there for seven days <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, still not knowing what to expect yeah, yeah yeah and the first impression that we have from the darkness i mean we all agreed was whoa this is not natural darkness this is a darkness that yeah. no pun intended you've never seen before yeah it is it's just all consuming and it's just this it it really felt like there was this this thing that wraps itself around you and it just like weighs on you it's just like this weight mm-hmm. on you and then it just felt incredibly lonely because <laughs> wherever you look there was no reference to look at it was just like it was it was weird it was weird yeah yeah so when i went in i shut the door did a little meditation shut the door and i actually had a candle lit i made a little little altar because i bought i went to chitsen itza before and bought a little thing you can hang on the wall and i put it there with a little candle and i was gonna let the candle burn out you know and just kind of like do a meditation but i needed a shower so i went in the candle was still lit i took a shower i came out and i'm like how long am like i was just so eager to get in the dark at that point because we're already half a day later than we were supposed to start and i was like how long is this stupid candle gonna burn for it probably an hour and a half and i was like and just burn it out i did it too i blew it out did you yeah and then i went started a meditation because i didn't know what else to do i was like well just meditate it's time to meditate right yeah i didn't feel lonely when the darkness came in i had seen darkness like that we took this trip into thailand and we went like a mile deep into this cave and and the guys would turn out the lights for a couple minutes just for us to see what complete darkness was like so i'd seen that a bit before never at that length more than two minutes but I went straight into a meditation, so I wasn't lonely. I was just like, "All right, meditation on. Let's let's see what happens." And what was your first day like? Mm, it was really, I was really uneasy. I was really, I was I was uneasy, I, and I realized how bad my spatial awareness was, mm-hmm. and just navigating around the room. And I realized pretty quickly that I got really tired very early on it was just because it it was supposed to be the middle of the day but it was so dark and my body clock just immediately got a little confused and i got tired yeah Uh, and then it was really hard for me to focus on meditation because i was tired i don't know about Mm -hmm. you but 
I think you you like to meditate in the mornings when you're still up. When I meditate in the mornings, I think I would get tired and then I couldn't focus. Right? Yeah. I like to just focus on my breath and like have an intense focus. Might be, yeah, might not be the right type of meditation for a dark retreat. But I was really struggling to to focus because mm-hmm. I was just, I guess, I was just overwhelmed, and it it just took time to to adjust. And uh, yeah, that was that was definitely the. Um, the experience for the first few days and then I had some very light visions early on where it was just like I thought I would see things but it wasn't something that was clear or yeah or really like it's crazy yeah Yeah. it's like it was already like huh what is that with that amount of darkness I remember growing up I used to go hunting and we'd go at like 4 35 in the morning we always thought, oh, our mind's just playing tricks on us because we would see things in that complete darkness. Like, oh, is that a deer? Is that a turkey? Is that, you know, what is that? But now understanding the complete darkness differently, it's like these visions are starting to pop in our head. Maybe it's from DMT. We don't know. Something like that. But this was this day one for you when you started to see these? Yeah, day one and also and also day two where it was just... Um... Yeah, I would. I think. I think on day two or day three, I already saw this light that was actually quite clear, and I was like, oh, "What is that?" And then in front of this light, it was like a moonlight. It was like the moon was shining there. Yeah. And then in front of it, there was this very dark shadow or smoke that would like be in front of it. <laughs> and it was like, "What is that?" You know, uh-huh. I think that was on day two. I can't believe it was on day one already. But on day two or day three, that already happened. But very, very short. It was just a like minute a or so. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what is that? So are you thinking, this is my mind just playing tricks on me? Is that yeah, your thought I process? Thought, I thought about it very logically. Hey, this is my brain chemistry. And my brain is filling in the gaps. It's thinking it's seeing something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, apparently in the first three days, that's when the melatonin rises. Mm-hmm. But then there's also another chemical starts with P. I can't remember what it is. And that is also supposedly giving you some visions. And then later on, it would move into DMT once the melatonin rises to a certain level. This is all coming from me as a bro scientist. <laughs> Don't take my word for it. I read something on, online. It right. makes sense. And then when I paraphrase it, it's like I butcher it. But yeah. I love that bro scientist. <laughs> So I think day one after my first meditation, I I was like, I need a nap. So I took a nap and I know that evening, I haven't told anybody actually this, but I heard when they come deliver food, they come at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. and they knock. And I actually wrote them a note on the first day. I was like, please stop knocking because I wanted to lose sense of time. If you know when they're knocking, it was like, okay, 10, 5, we know what time basically in the day it is, what day it is and everything. So they quit knocking. It took them a day to figure that out. But uh, I think I had to write him four notes. And <laughs> and so they quit knocking finally. But that evening, this was like getting close to bedtime. And I don't know if it was in a nap or right before bedtime. but And if it was in a dream or what. But I'm laying in my bed and I heard I heard a knock. And I was like, it can't be a knock from the food because the food came at five and it's like six, seven, eight sometime. But I heard a knock and it sent shivers down my spine. And I saw like in in my mind a door. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> what day was this? 
day one, the night of day one. I forgot about this until I listened to my recording. Oh. This is like the night of day one, right? And uh, this is this is weird. Already on day one. Yeah. Wow. And And then I saw right along that time. I don't know if it was before the knock or after the knock. I saw an image of my aunt Iona, and she's passed away for a few years now. I wasn't necessarily that close to her, but she was kind of like one of the family's favorite aunts, right? So she's my great aunt. She's my mom's aunt, and my mom was really close to her. And so she ended up being in my visions repetitively throughout the week. But I saw her there, and I was just kind of like, okay. You know, and like kind of like you, you saw something, and you're just like, I don't know what all is going on, what's happening. And then I was like, I, 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 okay, whatever. I, this is something. Something's there. I don't know why this is here kind of in between dream state and meditative state and sleep state uh, and waking state and I'll just take a little note of that and I think I don't know if I made it recorded that that night before I went to bed or the next day but the timeline gets very blurred because there's a lot of stuff that happens in our minds throughout that time when you're in even when you're in darkness so so that was the first thing that was okay we're we're really in a dark room now your experience has begun Chris and so then I went to bed and I slept. I slept well the first night. I think I slept eight or nine hours. Like, yeah. Did you too? Yeah, I think I slept okay the whole time. Yeah. So, so Leon doesn't always sleep the best, right? Yeah. Yeah, he has challenges sleeping. He's up, woke up many times throughout, even in his home and his own bed. I um, mean, he tries to optimize his sleep as best as possible with temperature and blankets and weighted blankets and all this stuff. Yeah. And and orange glasses. I mean, how was your sleep throughout the seven days? Really, was it was it decent? It was decent, I would say so, yeah. yeah. I would, but I would always go to bed way too early at like eight mm-hmm. until I would fall asleep at eleven because I would just feel so tired and like just unable to focus and hoping the day would end. <laughs> 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 because yeah, the, I mean the challenging thoughts came in, like especially on day three till yeah day seven. It's yeah. just they wouldn't leave me alone. It was just torture. But I mean, we we'll get into that later. But also when it comes to sleep. The past few nights I've been sleeping really well. So so we've been back in Austin for almost a week. It's like it's fixed, literally. That's amazing. I mean, I... You I, hacked your sleep. I sleep amazing. I mean, I don't know if it's because of the dark retreat, but it's just like... But so the couple of days after we came out of the dark room, did you sleep well? Or did you... Yeah, even then it was fine. You were sleeping better? Yeah. 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 And you're sleeping well again. Hopefully that sticks with you. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you struggle with sleep, maybe dark room is something that can help you out and help Leon out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're hopping into day two. For me, I'm happy to like mesh them together because a lot of them were just like roughly at that point, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, and just like the, the key points. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just, a, most of it was just a blur and it was just like. Yeah, because there's, there's times when you think day two was day th- If I didn't have the recorder, I wouldn't know day two from day three. Yeah. I did remember day five because that was the, the, the most challenging part for me and intense. But I forgot a lot of day six and day seven until I turned the recorder on. But I forgot a lot of the stuff. For me, like day two, what I would do a lot, and I don't know if you found yourself doing this, and I started doing this a bit on day one and day two, but I would just sit down and then I have a pretty creative imagination and I would start having conversations with whoever came into my mind. Like we were in, on the beach together with my mom and dad just having a conversation or some other people I like and respect would come in and we would just have long form conversations about philosophy and politics and dark rooms and entrepreneurship and all this stuff. Did you have anything like that? 
Yeah, I had it later in the day, uh, later in the dark retreat on later days. Like I would, um, I would just do a, an entire life review, and I got so into it that where I was just like thinking about all the yeah places I've been to, all the people I've interacted with, and stuff like that. But in the first few days, that wasn't really the case. I was doing a lot of visualization of the person I want to be, the life that I want to have, and also yeah, just a lot of like listening in like focusing my breath seeing what comes up mm-hmm. and i mean then things did come up big time uh like past drama or yeah yeah okay. yeah. yeah that's what you would call it and it's interesting because when we got the brain scan results he actually said oh it looks like it looks like your brain went through some stuff there mm-hmm. that it kind of resolved because it was, he was talking about how there might have been a ptsd issue with um this is pre-dark room yeah Yeah. with with um yeah with just something that's in your subconscious where the emotional part Mm -hmm. is not connected to the rest of the brain when when i'm in 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 a delta state and um yeah i guess that's what came up it makes sense (laughs) because it was just um yeah i don't know if you want to jump into day three yeah let me hit day two real quick so day two a lot of conversations with friends that i respect and admire we would just be in a circle together and talking about all these different things and then i actually had this this theory this was kind of a profound thing about i call it the island theory Um, and i was analyzing my past relationships with people and partnerships and how when we create a partnership whether romantic or business or whatever it may be even a friendship we should come in as two islands coming together in creating a new island or a new government. And what we do often, I think our egos do this, is we'll work so hard on ourselves to build our own islands up that our ego will want to have an island where where a bunch of people can just hop on our island and latch on to our, our power, our success. And that's okay, there's a certain amount of people Uh, and certain type of people we can have on our island but a lot of times people use that to gain a bit of our our success our power our fame whatever it may be and then and then they jump back off and they take it away kind of like a little maybe like a parasite jumping on and a leech right yeah and and i thought well there's times when when i had let people on my island that I probably should just because I was trying to be a night trying to be a nice guy that I accept everyone yes love everyone uh that I should have let them go so they can go build their own island they could go work on themselves differently and I I recognized that pattern in myself and it was it was interesting to see but then I was thinking to myself well like I have a partnership with um, Adam now my friend Adam and we have these masterminds we do and i was like we both have really great islands and coming together we're building this new this new island together right that people can come on and come to our services and masterminds and whatever we decide to do with that but in relationships and in loving relationships and intimate relationships how often are we letting somebody on that island that is just kind of taking our energy away so i wanted to thoroughly analyze all of my relationships and make sure they're all islands that are coming together to create a new bigger stronger island in that interaction if that makes sense yeah i like that i like that. yeah it's just a new perspective i mean we've been over like this idea of of who you bring into your life on a regular basis but it was kind of a new way to look at it you know it's like yeah is this person's island like are we collaborating together or are they just hopping on my island you know yeah yeah (laughs) for me that would kind of be uh 
the opposite. It would kind of be like, you know, be more comfortable with certain people being on your island because I would be afraid they would take something away. Oh, yeah. So that would be the case for me. But we'll get into that later. As long as they're the right people, right? It's okay. Yeah, and they, oftentimes yeah. they are the right people, but I'm still, like, afraid. Yeah. You know, and it's when a lot of, like, trust issues came up and all that. Yeah. The other thing that really kind of hit me on day two um, was this idea of, because the theme of the whole experience was darkness, darkness being the unknown, and that we go from the known or the light into the unknown to the darkness and we do this process until we die right and that's just what growth is and so like we go into the dark room and then we go through an experience of the dark room and we become comfortable with it and we're no longer there's no longer any fear of it because we know how to handle that experience or we start a new business so we go into we go into the new darkness of starting a new business that we have no idea how to run it's the unknown we're afraid we're going throughout this process and we build a business in your example you sold your business and then you step into a reality that's known and then you're like what's the next thing so this parallel of the light and the darkness happens in our lives all the way through our lives and that's growth so when we come across something that we're uh, unfamiliar with if it's the direction that we want to go with our lives it makes it much easier i think to kind of step into it just knowing that that's the process as opposed to being fearful and just saying i don't want to take that next leap you know i don't want to go into the darkness again but we we go from darkness to light to darkness to light our whole lives unknown to the known unknown to the known and the more we do that the more we grow right yeah, yeah. i think the problem that people have is that when you go into the darkness or let's apply it to something real what you mentioned like starting a new business mm-hmm. it's going to expose all the things that you need to learn or that you need to get rid of all your faults yeah Yeah. and it's like that's what people are afraid of yes it's not the dark it's what the dark exposes it's Mm. the same with like starting a business it's it's like there's all these issues that come up but yeah they're just stepping stones like you want them that's the purpose of it you want them to come up right and then once you overcome them you become a new person you step into the new world and then this is your new home this is yeah and uh and you're a stronger person yeah yeah and then the cycle repeats you set your eyes on something new (laughs) it exposes further flaws you get higher quality problems that come up again yeah and you just yeah you just keep moving forward and if you want to die just stop this growth process of stepping into the unknown into the known and growing from that that's when you really start to die not when your body dies. i mean who knows what happens after that but decay happens when you stop growing yeah right yeah right all things are in a state of growth or decay there's no stability exactly yeah yeah so so that was just day two and these thoughts are coming through and i really enjoyed just kind of taking some time to think meditate and just have like time to really just think through my thoughts because we don't we don't take that much time to do it really unless we're meditating or doing something on our own so day three tell me about your day three so i think i can summarize day three up to day five but i'll say day three to five it was just uh it was rough that's is that when the visualization started to really kick in for you so they 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 became more consistent where it wasn't like this explosive dmt experience where i was like whoa i'm clearly seeing things but i would constantly see something that how do i explain it i mean it was darkness in front of me, but I would see different shades of white, gray, and something that would like 
kind of be visible mm -hmm. and my mind's eye in my mind i would fill in the gaps and it would just look like just different landscapes i would fly through landscape and then it would it kept transforming sometimes i would think of something and that would pop up too but it was things that just wouldn't make sense for example i would see i would see the layers of the earth and there was like hair in between and then there's like these fish swimming swimming through and then bats and then there's this face that looked funny and then and it was just endless creativity of my my brain just like thinking about stuff and it was like it just wouldn't stop and then i had a lot of flashing lights sometimes just parts of what i was seeing was flashing yeah me too sometimes i would literally go to bed and it looked like there was a flashlight that was like turning towards me and i was like no, <laughs> no there's light what i was like oh no wait that's not that's not light and then i was, sometimes i would have that moon again that i would see uh -huh. with the with the smoke um sometimes it would just be yeah it would just be like this this little gray thing that would just expand more and more until it was just like like a, a white blob that was just like in front of me <laughs> um and at some point i remember meditating and it was like this little white thing came and it was it opened up more and it was very clear and i was like what is that everything else was blurry but this was very clear and then it would get bigger and bigger and it would like zoom in and it was like i was looking into a world and there was like these different landscapes and it was like yeah it lasted very shortly yeah really, but that was on the visualization side so real quick i had those flashes but always in the top left top left part of my eye like up here mm -hmm. and it, whether going to bed or in the shower and usually when my eyes were closed i would see this like a strobe light of a dark green like flashing yeah and i'm like oh god this thing by the end by day five and day six i was so annoyed by that thing i was yeah. like this thing again especially when you try to sleep you have your eyes closed <laughs> it keeps going so yeah. you can close your eyes and then it's gone uh-huh so and i had my sleep mask on as well right because sometimes i would record with an infrared light camera mm -hmm. and that's why i put this thing on because i didn't want to even see that even though it's very low light but it's like you want to see nothing right so i put that, that on if i was recording and sometimes i just kept it on mm -hmm. just in case and even then it was weird because i would am see i really it. seeing this <laughs> yeah yeah i would like yeah yeah and it was weird or sometimes i would I would see something and then I would just like, I don't, I'm going to stop seeing this. And I, I put it on and it just kept going. I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> it's you, like an intuitive thing. Did you get confused whether sometimes your eyes were open or closed? Mm, maybe. I don't know. There was times when my, I know my eyes were open and I thought they were closed. And then, but I found this out after I'm like, wait, is it, am I open or closed? And, or I thought my eyes were open and they were closed and then I would open. I'm like, oh, and I would have to blink or something, you know, to make me realize it was different yeah, yeah yeah that's funny that happened quite often yeah 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 and that was on the that was on the vision side and that just kept going in the in the mornings it would reset where i would just see pitch black again but then yeah. it would it would come up again until in the evening it's just it was just much stronger and then later on uh, colors came in too yeah. where it was like dark shades of red and dark shades of green i think sometimes even a little bit of blue but yeah very it wasn't something that I could put my finger on. It was like, oh, this is what I'm seeing. It was just like, well, how's my brain coming up with all this stuff? And it was exhausting. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the challenging part. For me, the most challenging parts was the thoughts that came up. So I came up, I went in with this intention. Hey, I want to visualize the person that I want to be and the life that I want to have and just really hone in 
more on the identity that I want to create for myself because I'm big on visualization on on identity work and all that stuff and then I went about my visualization but these thoughts they just kept coming up and I was like I was trying to refocus but I just couldn't they were so persistent what were the thoughts so the thoughts were around things like not being good enough that was basically the gist of it it was basically a lot of self comparison comparison with yeah with other people who are better than me stronger smarter better looking whatever yeah the fear of being replaced especially when it comes to in intimate relationships or just in relationships in general and it makes sense if you look at my background my family background i mean there's just a lot of i just didn't have good i didn't have the best role models when it came to intimate relationships mm-hmm. yeah and then also yeah past experiences that i've had and and it was it was a topic that i knew i thought i knew mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like i'm over this that's not a fear of mine i know i'm a great guy i don't have to worry about anything and i'm just focused on my purpose on my thing and um that wasn't on my mind i was like yeah that that i remember when i was younger that was an issue where i would get insecure about stuff like that but you know that's fine now but that just kept coming up mm-hmm. almost as if I had put it aside this whole time and I thought it wasn't there, but it, it still was. So there was that, there was, yeah, there was just, and just worrying about stuff and, and yeah, just worst case scenarios that would just be played in my mind over and over again. And that might've been what the, the, the brain scan showed where, where he, he basically said, hey, it looked like you were going through some stuff and it, mm-hmm. it might've been like, hey, there's this space now that my brain had and it's like hey by the way there's still all this stuff here all these open tabs in your browser that you still haven't (laughs) dealt with that are still weighing you down yeah and you know we've got some time here now so let's you know let's resurface them and i would be like no i want to do my visualization (laughs) put it back down in the box put it back down there (laughs) such petty thoughts and i would just and they would keep coming up and they were so persistent i felt like there was nothing i could do because I would just I know it, like I'm a I'm a seasoned meditator I've been meditating for seven years daily and, and yeah but this was different yeah. <laughs> it just kept coming up it was like torture and it was physically painful I could mm-hmm. feel it in my chest it was just it was just pain and it just wouldn't go away so that's why I was just I was counting the hours I was like when is this going when is this going to be over and I, was, I tried to refocus oh no I'm just not focused enough so I think here is like where the benefits of doing a lot of personal growth, maybe some years of maturity and uh, Vipassana meditation and, and, and longer meditations really come into play because when, when I had that, because I felt that same thing, we'll talk about it later on in the, in the podcast, but uh, when I felt that, that pain in the chest, this tension right in the chest where the ribs come together, my thoughts when when I felt that in a dark room was, all right, let's dive into that and let's get whatever that juicy bitch is, let's get that out of me as soon as possible. I don't care if I have to snot and cry and scream and yell and blame and cuss. It doesn't matter. Let's go to the rodeo and that juicy bitch is coming out of here before <laughs> I get out of the dark room. And, um, you know, I've worked a lot with personal development, uh, one company for numerous years. And when we sense that, and also I practice this in my meditation practices as well. But when I sense that, when I feel that tension, then you go to it and you say, what is that? Who are you? What is that? What are you doing inside of me? Where do you come from? 
Let's figure out the details. Let's understand what that is because that's our darkness inside of us, right? Let's understand what that is and let's let it go. Let's do what we have to do to let it go. Maybe that's exactly what I needed to do. And it just kept going on. And then I, through that, I had a lot of logical epiphanies in my brain. I was just like, yeah, just things that made sense. Where it's like, what are the lessons that I can take out of this? And um, yeah, the lesson that I kept coming up with was basically the core lesson, I would say, from this whole thing. There were a bunch of them. But the number one thing is that I already have everything and way more than I need to be so happy in my life every day that just worrying about stuff like that or worrying about anything else is such a complete waste of time and basically that I've wasted so much of my life, most of my life because I wasn't fully happy every day which I easily could have been Mm -hmm. because I have way more than I need in order to be happy. Even if I had way less than I have now, I could be happy every day just because of the little things. Yeah. And um, it's profound. Yeah. And now I feel I feel much better day to day today. I'm open to the idea, hey, that this could go away and I need to relearn this lesson again. So I'm not like, hey, this is life changing. This will change forever. But it's definitely it put me deeper into that state of realizing, hey, I like this is something I can come back to. So the, the, the number one thing that I wrote down or recorded and took out of it was the mantra, my cup is already overflowing. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm trying to fill it up because I'm so thirsty, so thirsty for happiness, fulfillment or whatever I'm trying to get. And I'm trying to fill it with water, but it's it's not just already full, it's already overflowing because yeah. it, it's like, and I don't see it and I'm running around and all I need to do whenever I'm in pain, I need to realize this is cup's already full it's already full <laughs> and it's already overflowing so that you have way more than you'll ever need and um i would i would go back and forth between getting sucked into these thoughts for a few hours and just being in pain and miserable and what's how do i get out of this what's the solution to this it's just there's no it's just helplessness and hopelessness and then i would get back to the lesson of no like it's i i need i don't need to worry about all these things i already have everything i need and then i would I would get myself into that state and I would, I would have this epiphany again. It's like, oh my God, it's so true. <laughs> and then I'd be happy again. And then and then a while later, I would get sucked back into it again. Mm-hmm. And I just, I forgot the lesson again. <laughs> and I would think about things and I would worry, I would self-compare, I would catastrophize, I would focus on the things that I don't have and I would just feel so miserable again. And then I would be like, oh no, wait a second, what about... Th-? And then I would relearn the lesson again. It was just like, Oh my God, is, is my, am I being tested here? Uh-huh. Like, hey, have you really learned the lesson yet? Here's some negative thoughts again, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even throughout the day now, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of depressed. I'm kind of like, yeah, just, just a, a, a hopelessness or just a bit of that feeling where it's just like this underlying feeling of just like, wait. But then when I think about that mantra again and I, and I support it with certain beliefs and and evidence why that's true, why my cup is already overflowing, I get into a great state again. Yeah. I can feel great every day. And then I yeah. um, on day five I, I literally had yeah, I was I was crying because I could have enjoyed my life so much more the past few years. On paper I achieved all these things that mm-hmm. other people I'd would be jealous of because they'd be like, Oh, he must be so happy. But meanwhile I was just miserable the time most of the time because I was worrying about the next thing and 
I could have been happy and it was just such a waste. Yeah. Like such a waste of life because people always think regrets come from a lack of achievement. Oh, you wish you would have started that business. You wish you right. would have done that. But the biggest thing is, are you happy? Right. Day to day. Right. That's the most important thing because how many successful people are there that are like, oh yeah, I've done everything I wanted to achieve. I've put humans on Mars. I've, you know, launched the iPhone, but then they're actually miserable because they were unhappy the mm-hmm. whole time. Yeah. So that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah, that that reminds me of the story. I think there's a documentary called The Last Man on the Moon. It's the last guy, I forgot his name, that went to the moon. And how he was so ambitious. And even after he got back from the moon, he wanted to go around and share his story with everybody. How he was so ambitious that finally in his 50s, his wife's like, I can't follow you around anymore. And so before he died in his 70s and 80s, he was like, I... I wish I would have paid more attention to my wife because she stuck by me for 30 years. And all I wanted to do is tell people about how awesome the moon was. But here I was ignoring my wife. And it's not fun to be single in your 50s uh, when your family and your kids are, are distant from you and you're trying to tell people about the moon. Yeah. Which makes sense, right? The, the ambition that we have for things like this. Yeah. Uh, you need a, a, a little something to trigger you on a regular basis like a little thing to look at to get you back to that state you know what i mean so so when you are feeling somber like you can see that little thing and you're like ah cups already over put a put a glass of water flowing over (laughs) yes a little i need a little fountain yeah yeah Yeah. and then and then i also thought about uh that was that was good because it was finally entertainment in my head i thought about all the people that yeah, I was grateful for that I could be grateful for. And I was just listing out all the things. Like, wow, that, that guy, he made me laugh so much. We had so much fun. And when I went through this, he stood by my side. And, oh, he got me into this topic, which now is a big passion of mine. And, you know, my mom, she made food for me. Like, she made food for me. How awesome is that? <laughs> How amazing awesome. is that? Imagine she didn't. Right. There's there's a lot of moms that don't make food for their kids, right? She, yeah, she didn't have to. And yeah, just realizing how important it is to laugh and to be funny and goofy and silly. Mm-hmm. Like if someone's not funny or silly or goofy, I don't I don't think I want them in <laughs> It's just such a waste. Yeah. Such a waste. And I was just thinking about inside jokes with friends that I had and basically doing an, an entire review of my life. Yeah. The places I've been to, the people that I've interacted with, the people I've had a relationship with even if it was just a distant friendship or like they were in my friends group and all the experiences and memories. And it was just, I just realized how long life is. Life is very, very long. If you sit down and you actually make the effort to make experiences, you don't have the same blur day to day, every day. Right. You have so many memories to look back to. And then the sad thing hit me was that all of the people, except for very, very few people right now, Pretty much all of the people are not in my life anymore. All the people that you were... That I made memories with. Made memories with. People that I made memories with, they're not in my life anymore. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we don't live in the same country anymore. I moved countries multiple times. Are they not in your life just because you're abroad? They're still friends or you're kind of not really friends anymore? Not friends friends anymore. Um, And That's kind of profound to learn about yourself. Yeah, and it was kind of like... I want to sit down with them uh-huh. so badly and just like talk about the old times and just I just got this feeling of nostalgia I don't know if you're familiar sure, with that yeah. you must be yeah. it's just this deep it's it's like 
joy, but also like deep sorrow. Where it's like this is over; it's never coming back. Mm. And I would love to sit down with them and, and talk about these things, but I can't. I can't deny my life anymore. I could, um, but it's never coming back. And then I also realized the importance of now creating relationships that last a lifetime mm-hmm. where in 30 years I can sit down with someone and be like, remember 25 years ago when we did this? Most people don't have that in their life. And yeah, I was just feeling very lonely because I can't sit down with anyone here and like talk about these things because mm-hmm. they, they didn't go through it. I can only think about it myself. And also when I was traveling by myself, traveling by yourself is good in some ways, but I did it for over a year and it was just like, Yep, all these memories that I made, but who do I share them with? Nobody. Who yeah. can I sit down with and be like, oh, remember that time? Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. And I have these stories in my head by myself. I can tell them to other people, but it's just me who's thinking about them. And I just realized how important it is to make memories with people together mm-hmm. and how I want that, how I create that in my life. Mm-hmm. To not just have friends that I'm really good friends with now, but in five years, you know, I'll have other friends again. Happiness is best shared. It's best shared. And even if it's just with one person or two people, relationships is just so incredibly important. And that's why family is so important and so powerful. Because they are people that have, like my twin brother, he's been there from the beginning. From the womb. He's the only person that has been there from the beginning. Yeah. You know, and I don't have a close relationship with him. But we have so many memories that we can look back to. And I'm looking forward to the Christmas days. I can't go back to my family this year because of Corona and stuff. Um, but I'm looking forward to just hopping on the phone with them and having a long conversation about like, oh, I remember that time when we were 12 and we did this mm-hmm. and then the next year this and then, oh, you were struggling with this and we are going through this thing that was really hard and this, this inside joke that we always laughed about and then we laugh about it again. So you're having, like, like me, having those conversations, those longer conversations with the people that are in your life the way you would want to have the conversations to go, right, in your imagination. Yeah. I I had something so similar. So my day three started out like this. I was sitting on the bed, and I was thinking to myself, in the dark, what do I need? There's so few things that you need, right? And so I thought to myself, well, if I was blind, if I didn't have sight, what would be important for me? I would need probably a few hundred bucks a month to live, maybe a thousand bucks, maybe a little more depending on where you live for a small apartment. I would need loved ones around me to share conversations with. I would need some food and I, I would need somebody to to snuggle with in bed at night, a lover, a partner. And that's it. That's all you would need if you're blind. And I thought, I started thinking about like, how does how does this perspective change when we have vision when we have vision when we have sight we gain ambition because i doubt there's any blind people out there that really care about making a million bucks in a year unless they're using that money to help other people right so i doubt they're making goals like that on a regular basis their goals i would guess and i'm not trying to speak for anybody that's blind but my goals would have been just from my week-long experience without light someone to be with deep, great conversations with the people around me, great people around me, some good food, and a little dwelling to to live in, you know, 500 square feet, maybe a thousand square feet. Big houses don't matter when you don't have vision. Nice cars don't matter, nice clothes don't matter. Even nice looks don't matter. 
it's like how are the people in your life treating you and that's it that's what makes a quality life when you don't have sight and i thought well when when we lose sight we begin to see what's really important because we don't have we don't we don't have those external stimuli that's constantly telling us or the social media or anything cars driving down the road that's telling us i need that i'm fulfilled when i get that i'm better when i get that people will respect me when i get that who respects like like if you're blind who do you respect people that treat you well and that's it you know who to bring on your island and who to merge your island with and who you don't because sight none of the visual stimuli matters whatsoever even the bank account like you can't see your bank account and be like oh great made another hundred thousand dollars you know this past year or whatever it's just like i've got food and i've got somebody to go to sleep with at night and great people around me that's all i need and and that was really profound because it's like any time that we are feeling unfulfilled or feeling like we need to make a million bucks in a year feeling like we need to do this or that just close your eyes and think about without sight what's important and i even thought uh, to piggyback off what you were saying would the depth of my conversations with the people in my life increase if i didn't have vision and my guess would probably be yes because you don't have too much else to do right you you you're like what else are we doing let's have a conversation let's talk about leon when he was four years old and what life was like you know instead of like oh i gotta go do this next thing and make this next podcast and you know edit this video perfectly you know yeah and maybe we would listen to our parents a little bit more listen to those family histories the family story that we have ask questions i think i would ask questions like dad you know tell me why you liked grandpa so much why were you guys so close you know why did you have so much friction with grandma and mom tell me what it was like for you when you were in your 20s in the 60s or early 70s trying to move to california and trying to make it out there and what was it like when you went to your grandma's funeral and came home and and found your your dad dead in the driveway you know maybe we would have more in-depth conversations and know know each other better if we really took the time but we don't because we're so stimulated by everything else. This ambition, this this need to conquer, it takes us away quite often from what is really important. And just to go back to it, when we don't have sight, we begin to see what's really important in our lives. And we know what's really important in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. But that was really profound. And that was just like day three, like sitting in my bed when all this started to un, uh, unravel. Did you have like any similar experiences to to that without sight, thinking about the importance of what was important? Um, I, I realized what's, yeah, I realized also what's what's like really important because I thought a lot about my life and, and everything. And I realized something I had realized before, but I had to relearn again. And what really matters is the basics, what you mentioned, right? right. Someone to love, friends, food, Good Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but really. But if you don't have sight, like what? Yeah, do you if you don't have sights, and imagine you also don't have hearing, mm-hmm. then it really just becomes about the sensory experiences, which is going to be yes, food, cuddles, all that stuff, yeah. right? Um, and in the end, that's that's the only thing that we experience. I mean, that's what 
presence being present in the moment is about right Eckhart Tolle like mm-hmm. what is like even if your business is going bankrupt right now and your wife is divorcing you and whatever happens no matter how bad right now in this moment is something bad well I don't know my, my back is a bit uncomfortable maybe <laughs> but like I you know I sit here I look around and actually right now in this very moment nothing is bad Yes, there's something going on in my head. It was like, oh, this could potentially, eventually prevent me from getting food uh-huh. I'm hungry. Yeah. But it's like, it, it won't. Like, it, it'll be fine, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's powerful lessons. So this is, this is just day three. So day three, also things started to get more vivid for me, for sure. I actually started having these repetitive thoughts about being in a cave with my ex-girlfriend and then her getting stuck in the cave and me coming to save her. And it was like, okay, what's the meaning behind this? And this came up you know, multiple times. And I was like, well, is this an attachment to me wanting to be her hero? And I was like, well, that, that kind of makes sense. Uh, but also still, still feel very connected to my ex-girlfriend. And one of the things over the past year that I've tried to do is, is create a a disconnect from that so I can get prepared to be in another relationship completely right so you have to spend that time away and heal from that process right and so I was like why do I feel so still really connected to her and so this is day three I'm questioning myself about this and then my aunt Iona returned and I went through this meditation process and I and I I'm guessing that you know part of it was the either the DMT or the things happening with the brain as well, but it was very intense. And this is later in the afternoon in day three, and I saw this dark tree of anger, and I started feeling like the anger I had towards uh, my ex girlfriend and some uh, old ex business partners, and just like tension that was up there. And I'm like, why am I hanging on to all this? Why is it there? And I saw this tree, this dark tree that was like into the core of my body, and all this anger was just rooted in there. And Anna Iona came over. I don't know if she hinted or I hinted to her. I was, was like, because there's no words, just thoughts, right? And, uh, and we're like, we're going to pull this tree out. And so we pulled the tree out together and then we planted the tree. And I was like, and I'm going to burn that tree. And so then I went and burned that tree. And then I saw in my visualization those roots being filled with light and a more loving presence. And so again, like, this experience so i'm logical as well and, and a lot of people are this experience um i don't think could have been as in-depth or vivid if we didn't stay open to the process as much as possible so anytime something wild and crazy came came to me i was like let's just follow it let's go down that rabbit hole let's see how deep that goes and where it takes us and so that's what i was doing with this process because it was like this is my mind just creating this or, or maybe it's more than just my mind creating this tree that we're pulling out the tree and we're filling it out with love and it was really really nice so then afterwards i had to i had to lay on the floor because it was a pretty intense experience and I had a yoga mat out there and i had been sensing like actually before the dark room retreat for months like sometimes when i meditate i'll i'll see i'll scan my body and see where the tension is and i always saw like this this kind of cover or this armor over my heart and in my meditation pre-dark retreat 
I was like, let's let's see if we can like have love like or light blow that armor off or remove that armor in some way. And it never really it was just after the meditation or the next day I would feel it's like covered there again. And so after we did this tree pulling thing, I laid down and I could sense my heart again, like all this like armor around my heart. And after that process, I did feel a bit lighter. And Anne Iona was like part of that, like just sitting there and, and helping that process. And I saw these visualizations of these birds and this this grass field and I'm just laying there and, and my heart felt lighter which is nice because I'm guessing what I was doing is releasing some of these emotions or that anger through that process and that was really the gist of day three for me that's when those started to intensify but what was really interesting too here is that I I forgot about all that because day five was so intense after coming out of the dark room I forgot all that stuff from day three and if I didn't like the recorder again took me back there to to reprocess that and I was like oh yeah that was a really pretty vivid experience that I had so then we hop into day four and and did you lose stuff in the dark room because I it, by day four I had lost my recorder for half a day I had lost my water bottle I lost my sandals I'd I you know and I'm on the ground like feeling around where did I put those things <laughs> did you did you have a similar experience not really. I'm no. I'm I'm really particular with where I put things and really organized and all that. So, um, I I'm I'm like yeah too too organized. <laughs> well, we learned a process in a dark room the importance of like having a system. I like systems. having your water bottle in the same place, knowing where it is. I did that most of the time. Yeah, having your- but only yeah. once where you don't have it. Yes, that's that's when you're like. Damn, I can't find it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's not like you can look around and have a quick look. You need to feel every inch. inch. Yeah. And then you think like, where's the last place I thought I rem- remember having it? And you go there. It's not there. Then you go to the place before that and you're like, man, my recorder is gone like half a day. I was really frustrated. Yeah. That would have sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All these things that you forgot about, you, you know, you, you wouldn't. Yeah. And then I found it in a place that I had no, I'm like, how did it get there? <laughs> 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 what happened to it? But like those systems, systems are great, right? And anything, those systems were really beneficial. Putting your chair under the desk so you don't stub your toe when you're walking around the room. It's huge, right? I learned that one early on, yeah. Yeah. Did you have any other systems, like systems for brushing teeth? or uh, We might talk about how you use the toilet. That's People, people ask about this, right? <laughs> yeah. Like how did you go to the uh, restroom, the bathroom? Yeah, so I... Honestly, when it came to eating and brushing my teeth, I would always like space it out so I had something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So I would literally eat and then I'd be like, oh, I could brush my teeth now. But I would be like, no, I'm going to do it later because then I have something to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, there's there's there no real system to it other than just keeping things in place where they were. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when I did go to the toilet, making sure that I don't shower before then. So always only just shower after that because doing number two in the dark is tricky. I mean, you can dive into it now if you want to. Yeah, 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 sure, why not? So first of all, one thing I didn't know about was the landing. <laughs> the, wait, the landing of your poop or the landing of your butt onto the toilet? The first one. This was hard because... <laughs> first of all, you need to... I, I'm not going to touch the toilet seat 
to yeah. see where it is. Yeah. So I kind of like had to sense it with, I would do it with my calf, like kind of like feel, okay, that's where it is. I would touch it lightly. I'd be like, oh no, you know, recovering germaphobe here. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I would pull the pants down and um, I would just hold on to the wall on the right and I'd slowly squat down. And then sometimes I would, yeah, I would, I would kind of miss it and I would like. But you, you didn't sit on the toilet seat? Oh yeah, I would sit on the toilet seat. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I would, I would sit. But sometimes I would, I would kind You'd of be uh, off. Yeah, and yeah, I, I would, I would have parts of my body <clears throat> on the toilet seat. I would just be like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, a bad yeah. feeling. It's just a very, very bad feeling. And yeah, then of course you have the bucket where you have to dispose the. Yeah, so in Mexico we can't put the toilet paper in the toilet. We had a bucket with a lid on top. Yeah. That we can put the toilet paper. Yeah, that wasn't nice because it was just used toilet paper for the past few days in there. Uh, could you smell it when you yeah. open it up? Could you? Yeah. I could. And it, the bad thing was it smelled exactly like my food because whatever I was eating, <laughs> it just. So you have a heightened sense of smell. Do you think it was even stronger? So normally Leon has a strong sense of smell. You think it was even stronger in the dark room? Yeah. 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 I think so. I could smell myself more than I'd ever smelled myself, and I wasn't wearing deodorant, but I I would smell Maybe myself. That's why. <laughs> yeah. But I would shower. Yeah, shower once or twice a day. Um, but I would, I would be like. I, I, I could just smell myself stronger and it wasn't a bad smell actually it was like if you've ever smelled a part of you and you're kind of like oh, I kind of like my smell right or smelled another human being you know somebody you're dating you're like I like her smell I liked my smell it was like yeah it's kind of manly it's cool it's tough <laughs> it's roughing it like that's a good odor you know nice yeah 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 and then uh, the tricky thing is with going to the bathroom in the dark is you don't have the visual feedback when you are cleaning yourself. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did I put that into? Yeah. Yeah. yeah perfectly. <laughs> you, you can't see what you put on the toilet paper. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And um, yeah, that's why I showered afterwards just to make sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was tricky, and I think everyone has kind of seen something like that or something similar. Where I've seen this video once of this public toilet, this is a viral video, public toilet where this guy lifts the seat up and there's this gigantic spider just like, mm. like coming out. And I was like- You had some arachnophobia. Damn it. Yeah. I didn't check the toilet before <laughs> turning off all the lights. Uh-huh. I remember when I lived in Australia, cause I lived in Australia for a few years. Um, I remember after seeing that video, I would oftentimes check even at home. I would literally check because uh-huh. I was just like, just make sure it's just the obsessive part of me, right? Yeah. And yeah, that was that was a fear that I had. Another fear that I had was, first of all, the dark is an uncomfortable place, right? Yeah. So that's just what I remembered as well. Um, I was just brushing my teeth and having this open space behind me. Um, it was uncomfortable because I was always like, what if there's something behind me? Because you know? <laughs> it's so dark. And Something's it's kind of like, up we, all, we all know the feeling when you go up the stairs as a kid from the basement. You have, to turn, you have to turn off the light while you're down in the basement and then run up the stairs. And then you just feel like something's grabbing you from behind and you just close the door behind you. Mm-hmm. That feeling of like, oh, I made it, right? Um, that's what it was kind of like, just that the door or the, the stairs up from the basement and then the door where you get out of the basement that wasn't there <laughs> so okay, you yeah. like you stay in the dark yeah it's kind of like oh you know and i would hear these stories or i'd read these stories of these people who had crazy visions of like 
oh, there's this lady from this horror movie, this crazy lady, this this haunted demon lady that, uh, yeah, that then she would see in her visions very clearly and then she would freak out because she started reaching out to her and stuff mm, like that. And I was mm. just like, oh, I shouldn't have read that before. <laughs> <laughs> this is where, like, if you watch horror movies on a regular basis, it does not serve you, That's right? what I realized. <laughs> I regret watching all these horror movies in mm -hmm. the past, you mm -hmm. know, because it's just like... If you're in a place where you're in darkness, it doesn't serve you well. No. It's, it's it's in the mind. And that's when I started thinking, horror movies, they probably, they're actually probably bad for you because they probably put something in your subconscious. It's just like, mm, more material to terrify someone, you know? Yeah. Um, so like from a neuroscience perspective, like those horror movies give people a massive dopamine rush, right? And it gives that, that, that excitement, like riding a roller coaster or something. That's why people kind of get addicted to them. Um, but yeah, I don't think they're good at all. I don't watch them at all. Like it's just, it's toxic. I think. Yeah. yeah. And I was also thinking, you, if you listen to this podcast, you probably know Chris, but he likes. I know from Chris that he likes to scare people. I'll just be like, wow, you know, <laughs> when we went to the haunted house. Yeah. And I was yeah. just thinking, man, if 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 Chris came out early, and they kind of set it up where he sn snuck into my room while I was sleeping, and then he scared me in the dark while I was <laughs> going through the room, I would probably die. Yeah. Because I would. If heart attack scared, <laughs> literally heart attack heart attack in, in my in my 20s uh -huh. yeah. and uh, that was also a thought of mine and um, I was recording with the night vision camera right mm -hmm. I couldn't see anything of course but the night vision camera would pick things up and I was just thinking like while I was recording man what if I this is exactly what like one of these horror movies what if it's like this this found tape horror movie type where it's like I would rewatch the footage and there's like something behind me, like this lady crawling on the wall and on the ceiling. <laughs> I was like, no. And I remember rewatching the footage. I was like, please, please. Please, no. Okay. <laughs> Nothing here. <laughs> oh, that would have, I mean. Oh, that would have been the creepiest thing ever, right? You yeah. See, you see like something in the background. Or yeah. Like, like some lady with an axe. Just like, ah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then uh, day five started for you and... Oh, we're still on day four. Oh, we're day four. Into day four, yeah. Go for it, yeah. One of the things I did, I, I think, is is kind of worth suggesting, but like to 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 buy time or to kind of uh, fulfill fill time up. Um, I had beetroot, organic beetroot powder that I make for my supplements every day. So it's like having a beetroot juice, and I called it my cocktail. And then I would I would make my beetroot juice. And then I would sit down in the chair. We had a chair that could unfold and you can lay on it or you could sit and meditate on it. I would sit in a chair and I would turn the fan on and feel the breeze. And I would picture myself being on the beach there in Mexico uh, with my parents. And we would just have like a cocktail, you know, and, and, and I would talk to them for a half hour, 45 minutes or so. And I'd do that. I think I did that about every day, maybe four or five of the days. Uh, and it was cool because you, you've got to find things, I think, during that time in order to not let yourself go insane, to go too far down into those dark holes, right? You've got to like have some, we talked about systems, but some like constructive schedule and habits. And we both had a schedule. So like my my schedule is I'd wake up, I'd lay in bed for like 30 minutes or so, then I'd meditate for 30 minutes to, for, to an hour, then I would run, I would run in place. 
and I would run on my yoga mat so I know knew I wasn't getting close to the bed or something and hit it and fall over. Uh, and I would visualize myself running my regular route in Austin, so down Annie Street here to South Congress to Riverside, back up to where we live in Travis Heights. And I would wave to, because I visualize friends like driving their car or running also, I would just wave and give them an elbow bump or something as they're on their run. And I always wave like at the firefighters, you know, when you go by the firefighter station, wave to them. So that was my like visual process. Like I was visualizing myself running on the route in Austin. And then I would, <coughs> I would sing a song or do like a little gratitude session. So my run was about 40 minutes or so. And I would, as I was running, I would just think of like, I'm grateful for my feet because without my feet, life would be much different than my ankles, which are connected to my feet, than the calves and the shin bones. And I worked through my whole body uh, expressing gratitude for that. And I think that helped to keep me in a strong state of mind throughout the process. Then I would do some stretching and yoga. Then I would practice handstands, so I did practice handstands in the dark against the wall, and then I would go into the first meditation for the day, and then about that time would be around the time they, they delivered the first meal, and on on day one through four, I ate food, and then five, six, and seven, I fasted, drinking only coconut water and water, um, so then I would have my coconut, and then, or my breakfast, and then go into meditation again, take a little nap later, meditation, meditation, meditation. Then uh, dinner or the coconut would come again at 5 p.m. I, I would have that, and then I would do a couple meditations before bed, and then go to bed. Now, and I usually go to bed at 8, 8 or 9 o'clock. But I'll, I'll run through that here in a bit. Let me, let me kind of dive down my rabbit hole that we went through, some of the, the deep visualizations. I actually thought that I would... Uh, think more about business, but I didn't think that much about business. I did a couple like deep meditations where I was like, I thought about my business and the processes of my business. And I was like, I'm spot on. Like, I don't need anything else. I don't need to add anything else. I don't need to build another side project or side business. So when day four hits, one of the things I've been doing with my brain scan is the back part of my brains have lower voltage than the front part of my brain. So maybe I'll throw a picture up, but you can see the the frontal lobes are like on fire compared to the back part. Of and so I focused on electrifying like the back part of my brain. This was a meditation on day four. And I did that for a while, quite a while. And then I don't know what happened, but I don't know. I felt this urge to go deeper down another rabbit hole. And I think I was meditating and my Iona came back again and I was like, I want to go down that door that opened that we saw on day two when it first came to me. When I heard this knock, I want to go. I want to open it. And I and I suggested to her, I was like, Can I open it? And she didn't answer yes or no. And I was like, Okay, I'm going. And I was like, You can come with me if you want. And so she, like she kind of latched on my back and we shot through it. And before that, I felt some resistance, and I was like, I don't care what resistance that is there. I'm just going. So I shot through like different dimensions and I was flying through them and I had my aunt on my back and I'm flying through them and I landed and I'm like, let's go to this planet. And so I landed on, on that planet and there's a little blue like warrior looking chick, kind of looked like an avatar. And I was like, are, are, are these, are you the reason I'm here? Like, what can you teach me? I was kind of, you know, kind of arrogant about it. And uh, I had some interaction with her and and I was like, no, you're not the person I'm supposed to talk to. And she and I was like, I'm going to go somewhere else. If you want to come with us, you can come. And so I think I grabbed her hand and then I shot off 
into this other world that was like on this other planet. And I thought I found this wise guy, like a very wise old man. He was kind of fat sitting in this chair. And I started talking to him and engaging with him. And he he was just kind of like <clears throat> a bit uh, slothish, I guess you could say. And, and he was just laying in his chair and he was just kind of like smoking a cigarette or something. And I'm like, you're not the person I'm supposed to talk to. So I'm going to go somewhere else. So I even was like, get out of my way. And I kind of, I think I kicked his chair or something. <laughs> and I was like, but if you want to come with us, we can go. And I was like, I'm just going to God. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go to any more dimensions. I'm going to go straight to God. So then I shot through like these other dimensions through this, this puffy clouds. And I landed in maybe heaven, I guess, next to the throne of God. And this is all in my visualization. And again, I forgot about this one because day five, was, this is day four, day five was so intense. So so I'm sitting there and my aunt was really excited because we're next to God. And these two other beings were excited. And and God was like, hey, what's up, man? And, and I kind of like got the sense that I was more familiar with this presence of God than any of these other beings that I was like looking for answers from. And... Um, he was like, why did you mess around like going to all those other places? You can always just come straight here. And I was like, really? And and, and I kind of knew that, you know, I kind of know that. And uh, he's like, yeah, you're my boy. I got you. I got your back sort of thing. And But I also felt like so familiar in that presence that it was like I was soldier of God's light or something like that. Like part of my life purpose, and I knew this beforehand, but I reaffirmed this again on day five and six and seven. Uh, part of my life purpose is to just spread joy and happiness and light and fun uh, and inspiration to the world. And in this interaction with God, he was just kind of like, yeah, you know what your job is already. You can come just come to me if you have any questions. And and you know your job already. You know your purpose. Like that's just go do it. You're my little warrior. Just go out and do it. And uh, I was like, okay, okay, and I get it. That's all I have to do. So that was just a visualization in your mind. Yeah. You went deep then, hey. Yeah, it was was a deep meditation. Is visualizations in my mind, and I'm sure a combination of being in the dark after four days. Yeah. This is toward the end of day four. Is this something you could do any morning? We just visualize things so like this, that. So this is also something that kind of became more profound for me on day five, six, and seven is like we have something inside of us and, and quite often we hesitate to express it to the world because we're afraid of rejection or something. So if I do this thing, I share my spiritual world to to this podcast, who out there might reject it? Who out there might say, oh, that's stupid, you're being a fool? And quite often we give more power to those voices than to our own either internal voice or all the other people that are out there. It's like the one hater, right, that can change everything yeah. for us. And so part of this, this learning experience is like I, I hold back my my spiritual life to a lot of people because I don't – there's very few people that I've opened up the depth of my meditations to. And when I do, I choose the right people because they're like, oh, yeah, that all makes sense. Like I, I do stuff like that too. But it was like why am I – hesitating to share the depth of my internal world so much and so this is part of I think coming to the dark room and then going that far into my own my own self what guilt is there for sharing everything that's inside of you to the world there's none because that's what you're really supposed to do anyway but people die with their music inside of them right like what if 
Mozart didn't compose those songs? What if Steven Spielberg didn't write those movies? Because one, people are out there hating on him. And so it was like, what if, what if this whole spiritual side of myself I'm hesitating to share with people dies inside of me and I don't get to share it with people? And that was kind of that interaction there that I had with the presence of God. Oh, wow. Like, okay, that makes sense. And then it got reaffirmed more on the following days. And I actually, we, you sang a little bit too in the dark room, right? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, just to, just like I would in the shower. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would sing to make up time, but what I realized is that I didn't know the, the lyrics to a lot of songs. And so I would make up songs and they would just come to me and I would just start singing. So I did that also on day four. It's, the album is dropping soon. It is. The album is dropping soon. You can find that on leonjhendrich.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely not. So, so further on, that, that vision turned into... So when I started chanting and singing, then it, I felt these dark, intense spirits come around me. And I almost felt engulfed by one of them. And then my, my singing turned very kind of demonic. And this is me verbally expressing it. And then I, 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 but I still had the conscious mind to say, hey, I could jump out of this if I need to jump out of this. Um, but I was just kind of going down that rabbit hole and seeing where things went. And then I went, I didn't have this recorded, but I really wish I did. I went and there was like this audience of all these dark spirits there. And I just lectured them of why them spreading darkness in the world could never win. And I just kept lecturing them and lecturing them. It was like half an hour. And I'm, I'm speaking this, like I'm just saying this is what, you know, but still having these visions in my head. And I really wish I had that recorded because it was after I said it, I forgot I said it, one. But I, after, after saying it, I was like, wow, where did that come from? Because that was really some cool stuff about whatever I was expressing. And I still felt like that the, the dark spirit was still around me when I went to bed. And I had this thought, I was like, why is this? dark darkness around me and and i had the thought come back to me and it was like well it's because it's part of you because i was i was at this point this is towards bedtime i was afraid of that i was like why is this thing here i like had that creepy feeling like you were talking about and i thought why why is this why is it so hard to get rid of and and that thought came back because it's a part of you and then just knowing it was a part of me made me feel more safe and then i was like oh okay, I guess I can go to bed now. And then I went and brushed, I think I brushed my teeth and went to bed. That's the end of day four. So we're going into day five for me. And I wake up and I do my daily routine. This is uh, after day four when things were pretty intense. But I completely forgot about them because five, day five was even, even more intense. And sometime around 2 p.m., and I know it was 2 p.m. because it was about three or four hours after my coconut. Uh, which came at 10 and so I'll try and walk through this as best as possible I was revisiting that anger tree from like two or three days ago like it came back up in in my visualizations and it was it was kind of back but it wasn't back but I felt like this intensity and I was like where is this anger what is this anger and it all went back to anger I had from my past relationship and so the intensity of the anger just started getting stronger and stronger. It just like, it, it was more vivid. It was just more tense and I could feel the anger. 
And so verbally, like I let out a lot of the anger, saying things, letting out nasty stuff. And that was like a 10 to 15 minute process. And then afterwards, I still, I thought it would help me release that anger. But afterwards, I still felt this, these, this, this tense emotion right here, right where my ribs come together. And it was almost like rock hard. Like it was just so tense right here. And I'm like, what? what the hell is this trying to let this stuff go i'm meditating i'm going through this process you know and, and again these are just thoughts that, that all instantly run through your head at once what is this and and so i started again verbalizing there was so much tension in this past relationship there was so much you know there was these arguments and these things like we just couldn't agree on and this anger is all there and, and then it just came out and then i and i said this and i haven't said this to anybody yet um, and I it was completely ignorant because I left this relationship a year ago. So I was, I'm unknowing to this for a year. And I said, I didn't want it to end. And as soon as I said that, this ball just comes out and I just start bawling. I mean, just, bah! and the, the crying was so intense, literally like snot is running down my face, tears, like I can't control it. And, and I kept keep repeating, I didn't want it to end. I didn't want it to end. And, and I cried for half an hour, literally a half an hour. And I would say other stuff during that time, like I'm so angry at you, so this, but it was just uncontrollable crying. And then, then I laid down on the ground after this like purge, because I call it a purge because it's more of a purge than a cry or a sadness or anything. It was like releasing these stuck emotions. And then I lay down and I, I grab my recorder because, you know, I'm like content time. And and I start talking and I say, start describing this experience. And just the first two sentences, I start crying again. And then I cry for another 15 minutes. I forgot I left the recorder on. So I have like 15 minutes of me just, bruh. but the, the crying also was this purge is more of like the purge. It was kind of demonic because it would, it, it sometimes the cries sounded like laughter which was really weird. If you've ever seen the Joker in the movie, when he laughs, it kind of sounded like that. And my conscious brain would chime in every now and then and, and say, Chris, are you laughing or are you crying right now? But then the tears were still like coming down and knew I was crying. And so, so I had another purge of that. And again, saying, I didn't want it to end. I didn't, I didn't even know I didn't want it to end. And then, then I stopped, had a brief break I kicked my recorder by accident and I was like, oh, the recorder's still going. And I was like, better stop that. And then I had another, it, it came out again. This was like five or 10 minutes. But this is where things got really interesting. So I saw my, during this last cry, I actually started chanting this song, but I saw, and it was, it was so vivid in my mind right now, I saw my ex and I could see the light coming out of her. It was just like shining out of her to me. And it, it, it was like showing me how much that she really loved me too. Because I think she was in a similar place. Like we ended the relationship because we didn't understand each other. The communication was way off, you know, different times in our lives for what we wanted to do. Uh, but there was still an intense love between each other. So she, she had this light coming out of her and she just kept saying, I loved you too. I really loved you too. And, and it was just going back and forth between us. And I could just see this radiant glow of light and then like this grid of colors all around. And I'm seeing this, right? 
and and I'm feeling it. I'm feeling this presence. And then it turns into not just her light, but a light with inside of me. And I feel like, I don't know how to describe it. There's no words for this, but I think Buddhists explain this as a state of nirvana. And I felt this inner light core in me and it just radiated. And I felt like it was, I didn't know at the time, but now that I can articulate it a bit, I felt like it was my soul. And then I would picture somebody and think it's somebody like Leon and I'm like, I could see his soul. And then I would look at, think about like Aaron or my friend Jesse or somebody. And I'm like, I can see their soul and I could see my ex-girlfriend's. And I was like, whoa, but it was the exact same light that was in every other person. It was in me too. And I was like, this is how we're all the same. And we understand this concept as religions talk about this concept. Personal development, Tony Robbins talks about this concept, but experiencing it was at a whole it was a whole nother level and it was like the unity in everything that existed and it was so profound and even when you and I and Aaron came together day eight when we opened the door uh, you guys came in and you asked me about my experience and I tried to describe this core light but I couldn't articulate it because I was stumbling around my words because we just saw light. I hadn't seen people in seven days. And and I was like, cool, this core light that was in me. And it was just, it was amazing, you know? And, and I knew I couldn't properly articulate. It's taken me this process in the past 10 days to really sit down and articulate what that was. But it was this, just an amazing sense of nirvana. And then what happened after this, this intense light this process I leaned back and I started to think about all the people in my life and it got very euphoric and I've never done ecstasy or MDMA or mollies but what I've heard from it is that things are very euphoric and you just can't stop touching your skin because it feels so good and you just love everybody and this is what I was feeling exactly no substances in my brain just a dark room and, and so I was sitting there in my chair and I had my legs crossed and I would just feel my legs and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And it was like, man, my dad is, God, I love my dad. Leon and Aaron and all the people I just ran through, like 50 people. And I'm like, man, I just God, that person. And I would see their soul, to see their light in them. And I'm like, wow, like having this really intense experience. I don't know how long that lasted, maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour, and probably more than 30 minutes for sure. And then like the intense hallucinations came in. So I would just sit back in my chair and I'm like this, looking up. And that's when maybe the DMT kicked in full force because it was uncontrollable then. And I could see these grids and see these lights and I could see just like everything so much. I know my eyes were just like fully wide open and pupils dilated because it was just like seeing another realm, seeing another world. And it was, it was, it was really interesting, but it was a bit uncontrollable. 
and I think this lasted maybe an hour and a half. So from this time this started at 2 p.m., this is now probably 8 p.m. This is a whole long process. The whole crying part lasted at least two hours. Then you had another euphoric and in all of the intensity and seeing souls. And and just casually seeing souls. Yeah, as it is, you know, how, uh, as take as this off does. my to-do yeah. <laughs> bucket list item. Uh, and then so that and then this you know ayahuasca type of experience is happening. It's just like, whew. and it was it was so intense that I thought if this doesn't go away, I'm gonna have to leave the dark room because I cannot do another three days or two and a half days or whatever, day six and seven, and we got out on eight. So I could not do another 48 hours with this intensity. So this is a long experience, and I can't articulate and communicate all the things that I saw and happened during that time because I forgot some, and it was just really intense. And then I was like, I need to shower. I know I need to shower because I have all the snot and tears all over my face. So I went to shower. And I saw, I felt like I was engulfed in a rainforest and I could see the, the canopy of uh, tropical vegetation above me and around me. And I had it on hot water, but I couldn't get in the hot water because it's so hot. And I did this in all my showers, but I just would turn it on hot, scrub, and then sit next to the hot water because I could feel the hot water on my body, which felt really good. So I did this in this experience and I just felt like I was in this 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 jungle spa in the Amazon, you know, this hot water's coming, coming out. And, and it was really cool. I may, I think I managed to brush my teeth that night. And then, then I was like, I pray that I, this goes away when I wake up in the morning. So I went to bed and I fell asleep and then I woke up cause I had to go to the bathroom. I don't know, probably not that much longer, maybe an hour or two. And it was still intense. It was still kicking in. <laughs> and in my dream, because uh, I was having vivid dreams during that one or two hours, in my dream there was a woman sitting next to the ocean, but she kept looking at this like portal, this little hole where there was just like this smoky stuff coming out of. And in between that hole was my bed sheet that was spread out, and she was trying to get my bed sheet out of the hole. So I get up, I sit in the bed, and I grab my bed sheet and I'm trying to pull the bed sheet out of the hole. And then I think to myself, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, this is reality. Like I was just dreaming. So that is when I was confused between my dream state and my awake state. Like I didn't know which was which. And, and at this time too, in the dream, Aubrey Marcus was sitting at the end of my bed, at the foot of my bed. And I saw this woman trying to pull this thing. And I'm like, and then I wake up and I was like, and I see this woman as I'm waking up trying to pull this bed sheet in and out. And then I try to help her. And then I realize, oh, and I take my actual bed sheet and I realize, oh, I'm awake. But then I could still see Aubrey at the end of my bed. I'm like, whoa. And then I get up and I walk to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. I come back and, and then I go to sleep. And thankfully, I woke up the next morning and it was a reset, like you said. It was a reset and the intensity wasn't there. Yeah, and it was, it was absolutely profound. So so this day was so intense for me. I went and had day six and day seven. Day six and seven were great, but because day five was so intense, after I got out of the dark room, I completely forgot about day six and day seven. Day six and seven were similar to four, but actually a little bit lighter, a little bit better in mm. some ways. Yeah, I've got a question about the, yeah. day, the day five. Yeah. When you first explained it to us, you said, and then it was just, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how you described it right after mm-hmm. so was that sound involved as well was it that wow I, I think there's I think it's kind of like an imagination of a sound right mm. so you don't actually hear it it's just like you feel it like oh. you just you sense it right and in and in the conversations i had with in iona or god or dark spirits sometimes i verbalized and the sound i think may have been there or some sense it was just like a you know kind of presence yeah i guess you could say yeah 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 wow so that so that was five, right? And so we get into six. Yeah, I can quickly recap mine while you look. Yes, do. Um, so for me, it was just day six and seven. It just continued. A lot yeah. of inner battles, inner demons, repetitive thoughts that just wouldn't go away. But then relearning the lessons and, um, yeah, repeating the epiphanies. I was very uneasy because I was literally at that point counting the hours. I was doing a lot of math in my head. So it's like okay. We get out of it this time. Uh, it's it should be around this time now because I we got meals then. Mm-hmm. So based on that, um, um, if I sleep six hours at least in a night, that means minus that. So how many waking hours do I have left until I can finally get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> I would so, count those. I'm like 19 hours left. Ah, so good. Yeah, I would literally do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't do that until the weekend though, because the weekend was like the hump. When I was at Sunday, I was like, ah, Sunday good we come out tuesday morning i can do this if i made it to sunday yeah 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 and it was just uh i was i kept being uneasy and just (laughs) sticking in there um but again i had a lot of great insights and recording so it wasn't just suffering Uh i had a lot of insights uh record a lot of really good voice notes for myself Uh i just got more clear on what i really value in life and who i want to be and and what really matters yeah so it's what often happens when you take away something that you take for granted, which is vision. Mm-hmm. You know, you you tend to, yeah, you tend to reappreciate what you have so much more because you're like, oh my god, this has been here the whole time, and I thought it was a given. Yeah, it, it you know, but, it, but it's it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. Not. Um, even even any, anything we take away from it, even if you have a car and in a car, you know, whatever you crash your yeah. car, you're like man, life was so good with my car. Even if you lose your legs and you can't walk anymore, I can't do this, I can't do that, you can probably list a thousand things. These 1,000 things that you can't do anymore is nothing compared to the 500 trillion things that you can still do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, One of my favorite poems, it says in it, if you can't find anything to be grateful for, it's no one's fault but your own. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? (laughs) That's what it is, yeah. So what was uh, the end for you like? So, so five and six or six and seven were recapping everything and kind of putting everything together. And I was revisiting the experience that I had uh, on Saturday. And so one of the things that I, I realized is that I have this, this, I guess you could say a resistance to love, but there's very few people that I've completely opened up to all sides of myself. Even my, in my ex relationship, I didn't open up my my complete spiritual self which is kind of loco because she was a very spiritual person and if anybody i could open that up to i could open up to her but it was my ego was playing this role of if these people know this part of me but not that part of me then then i can i kind of have this control right and they can see me in this way because they only know that part of me yeah 
And it's just silly. It's ridiculous because I have no control about what anybody thinks of me. But it was, and it went back to like, I have all this stuff inside of me. Why aren't I letting it out? Because it's meant to be let out. There's no, if you don't let it out, it just turns into stuck emotions and anger, then, then frustration and all that. So it was processing that whole thing and then realizing that, okay, I didn't want my last relationship to end, but I know it had to. And so processing the, the reasons why it had to and the emotions that I let go and the, the tension. And so I don't know if it was on day six or day seven, but I would revisit my meditation and, and sense my heart and that tension, that armor that was around the heart was gone. And I felt lighter, much lighter on Sunday and Monday than I did definitely on the days before. And it's still like that if I like do a meditation and look at my heart, I don't see that armor. I feel lighter. I feel more like, ah, that's past. And I think that both of those things were part of the original sense or calling that I had to go into the dark room because I knew I had some stuff I had to let go of my last relationship. I knew I had some stuff to work through, but I couldn't really figure it out on my own. And the dark room was uh, a process to help that, but also to, to communicate more about all sides of my life, all sides of things that I have to share with the world and opening up to more people and, and sharing the entire Chris Reynolds instead of like little bits here and there just so they have this this image of me, which is silly. It's so silly. It's so high maintenance as well. <laughs> my God, yeah, I, oh, yeah, exactly. exactly. We're driven by a couple primal drives, either a need to look good or a need to be right. And you can sense almost all of our primal decisions based on one of those two needs. My need to look good is intense, uh, more than my need to be right. And even sometimes me not being right is a sense of looking good. Because, oh, if I'm not right, then I look good because I'm able to open up my mind and discover new, new opinions about the world. I've had a good learning like that too, where I always picture myself as, or I always identified as someone who's, I'm willing to take risks mm -hmm. and I'm willing to deal with uncertainty mm -hmm. because, you know, finished high school, started traveling the world, started moving countries, built a business, put everything on there, made it happen, uh, now moved to the US, invested all this money and risk into starting a business here so I could potentially get a visa, which then worked out. Mm -hmm. All these things, right? But then I realized, I'm actually really uncomfortable with uncertainty and I hate uncertainty so yeah. much that if there's uncertainty about something, I keep thinking about the problem until I find a solution, even if there isn't a solution that I want. Mm -hmm. For example, when I was worrying about my visa to the US, I was just like obsessing about it, like getting everything right and it, it definitely helped in a sense because mm -hmm. I was well prepared, but just that uncertainty of what if it doesn't go right? What if it doesn't, you know, mm -hmm. just wanting that certainty, like wanting to look into the future and preventing harm. And I was just like that. It just, and I, it was just been a recurring pattern where it's just like, if I don't know for sure that it will work, like I won't, I won't be able to sit still and, and just enjoy the time that I have right now, you know, and being be present. That's kind of like one of Aaron's learnings was surrendering to the process, right? just surrendering to whatever's in the moment yeah just surrender to oh even even let's say let's say about um a big thing for me was relationships too right mm -hmm. just seeing how how much infidelity there is just the human nature of you know 
cheating is always an issue. It's always a it's always a possibility. And I was just like, I'm at the beginning of a new relationship, and I'm, I didn't know that was something I was struggling with, but. It was just like, no, there must be a solution to it. It's completely impossible. Where I don't have to worry about that at all. And I'm not a jealous person at all. It's not like I would never, you would never hear anything or see anything from that from me because right. I would be disgusted with myself. Yeah, I, I'm not, I, I need to find a solution to this. And it's just this need for certainty. So that was, that was yeah. one of my epiphanies. Yeah. Or even let's say you get older, you're in your seventies and you're fear of death. Mm-hmm. Oh no, there must be a solution to this. You know, and start worrying about it. What about this? What about that? And I would, ruminate on it and just keep thinking about it you know eventually I would do that if I don't fix this now Yeah. instead of just being like you know what everyone dies I don't know what's going to happen I'm going to cross the bridge when I get to it Right. and then I'll deal with it but now I'm alive and I'm worried about it and I'm free of worry you know so yeah that, that's been a big lesson for me a big lesson for me as well yeah. day seven were you, you you mentioned you were counting down the hours but were you uh eager to get out or were you what was going through your mind on day seven one thought was literally i'm so glad the time never goes backwards (laughs) i don't have to do anything it just it's just like i don't have to put an effort for it to be over i just have to endure yeah um but yeah i wasn't doing anything specifically really i was just thinking more about who do i want to be when i come out what do i want to implement from based on what i learned and just revisiting these these things and just like how can I make sure that it's not just this oh one epiphany and then I go back to day to day and I'm back in my old routine but how can I really make sure that this sticks mm-hmm. and yeah reintegrating just like like you mentioned was like that was kind of like wrapping things up yeah day seven is the first time boredom really hit me and I was like yeah. what do I do and I have I have I was like I'm just getting a recorder and just puking stuff out on the recorder because mm. I was counting the hours down what's it going to be like to see lights you know yes. Leon and Aaron Bale you know <laughs> <laughs> maybe they've been at the beach this whole week but I've just been stuck in this dark room yeah. with my own demons and and but I just had to I think I probably I have over an hour of recording just maybe an hour and a half or so just from my Monday the last day talking about experiences inside kind of wrapping everything together you know there's times like what am i gonna do now it's the first time boredom like ever loneliness never really hit me which is interesting and i was never lonely in there me, uh, me neither, really. neither in the beginning i had that sense mm-hmm. when i was getting used to the dark but then i was just like yeah it was yeah. it was fine it was fine I'm, i mean i'm glad i'm kind of introverted too i'm kind of extroverted but also kind of introverted yeah I'm kind of in the middle I don't want to know what it would be like for an extroverted person that always needs to talk to someone. Well, I'm an extrovert, but I grew up as an only child, so I spent a significant part of my life alone. And you're very self-aware. You've dealt with a lot of your demons. Yeah. For someone that hasn't done personal development or it would be real inner work, Yeah. like me and Aaron, we've done a lot of stuff together with journaling as well. Yeah. Uh, we went into the wild for 48 hours in, in one of my videos and just like, you know, just journaled for 48 hours, like for, for two days, nothing else, but like just be by yourself in yeah. the woods and journal yeah and that was that was a big thing but yeah i was quite comfortable by myself yeah, yeah. oh and, and one big lesson that we later on we talked about with aaron when we got out yeah and that i also had was like maybe this whole self-love thing that everyone yes. keeps talking about <laughs> that's really yes maybe there's something to it and i always thought like yes it's it's a good topic i get it it's it's great for people uh, a lot of women talk about it because they have so much 
pressure from society of who they need to be and they mm-hmm. just you know and it's great and I, I, it's great I'm so happy for people that do this self love thing um, but uh, what really helps me achieve my goals <laughs> <laughs> can we just skip to the part where we it's achieve our goals and stuff practical like, about this right yeah, yeah like and maybe all the issues that I'm having or challenges that I'm having Maybe it's just because I'm not happy with who I am and I try to get somewhere else, I try to have something else, but maybe I just need to accept myself and love myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe this is a better term for self-love where it doesn't turn guys like myself off where it's like, oh, this is kind of cheesy. Yeah. I was just like, you know, yeah, everything's good and I'm I'm good the way I am. It's like, everything's great, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I six and seven, like I reconfirmed that as well. I thought about this idea of self-love and self-criticism as well and how mm. how how intensely we criticize ourselves yeah and how you were preaching to your inner demons for half an hour and then you realize they're a part of yourself exactly right? and that's when i thought <laughs> hmm it's probably yeah yeah it's probably a part of self-criticism from yourself yeah, exactly you're like you shouldn't do this you shouldn't you know yeah but it's like oh but yeah. we are you maybe wow i didn't think about that actually yeah um but yeah i was like i'm i'm going to from here on out create a new relationship with self-love because it sounds woo-woo it sounds cheesy you know yeah it's not a masculine thing so people perceive that as i'm like i don't care loving yourself is so incredibly important yes took us seven days in the dark and we know the concept but then again if you experience it differently it resonates on a different level and so i was like i'm I'm just gonna love myself more and better yeah and focus on that yeah just like you would a loved one Exactly. It's just so Even easy to, 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 to say about someone else, like, hey, it's fine that they have this flaw. That makes them even better. Like, it's. Yeah. Or, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. But then, meanwhile, we're like, you know. Well, some of our loved ones were pretty critical about, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. The ones that we love, uh, that we. Uh, we love them harder, right? <laughs> well, the ones. The ones uh, who we love, who we. The ones who we crave love from, but which we're not getting. Mm, we can be more critical about them, yeah. Yeah. Or or we see our own faults in them, and so we try to improve them, but really it's our own faults that we have inside of ourselves. Yeah. Which makes sense. So, go to bed day seven. Oh, yes. I was so excited. <laughs> I'm getting excited right now. I was nervous about them not knocking, right? Because they knock at 5 a.m., <sighs> and they say... Like yeah. it's time to get up because we told them beforehand. Mm-hmm. I was also we wanted to watch the sunrise on the beach. Yeah, I actually wrote a note. Mm-hmm. I actually said if to if tomorrow is Tuesday, please make sure I wake up at five a.m. to see the sunrise. Nice. Yeah. And also, one of my concerns was, what if I miscounted the day? <laughs> All this counting down to the final day yeah. was miscounted and. I have another 24 hours. Uh, That would have been horrible. It would have been the longest 24 hours (laughs) in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah. But they didn't. They did. They knocked and Mm -hmm. and, uh, woke me up. Um, I I was already awake. I was was awake at like 3 or 4 a.m. And I was just like, it's a time (laughs) yet. It's Christmas. Christmas. And I was literally waiting there. I was sitting. I I know what a dog feels like when he's stuck at home waiting for his (laughs) owners to come home. I was yeah. wagging my tail. I was like, please, please. Is it happening? Please. Uh-huh. When is it happening? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And they knocked and you were just like out of bed. You were just like, ah, let's go. Let's I was this. already sitting there. I was already 
recording myself mm-hmm. and I was already like and you can see the face <laughs> and like is the it, and I asked like is it Tuesday and they didn't, they didn't respond you know and I was like I guess it is I think I did a little meditation a quick one and I heard you guys rumbling outside and I was like, oh, I, I, I can't. I got like, let's just do this. Yeah. And I think, didn't you say my name or something outside of my dark room? Or And I heard something, and then I opened the door. And it's still dark outside. The sun hadn't come up yet, which I think that's a perfect time to come out of a dark room. And then you guys came in my room. You saw Aaron. What was it like to see Aaron, I guess, for you? So I started, I started by actually lighting the candles. Okay. And when the lighter put out the fire mm-hmm. this the fire came out it was so bright i was like ah oh. and i feel i filmed the moment as well it was overwhelming and then i had the lights on mm-hmm. and i mean you had the same experience it was i was so dizzy from seeing the lights it was like they were moving like that like literally this much yeah this is how much they were moving so i think that's dmt as well because yeah. in an ayahuasca experience like you have that even coming out of it towards the end yeah and i was so dizzy and i was just like Oh my god! Do I just like open the door now? This I haven't even touched the door this whole time. Uh-huh. And I open it. It was so bright, even though it was the middle of the night. But for me, it was like whoa. Yeah. And I was just getting out, and it was warm outside. It was so much noise, so much sound. Because also, it was pretty pretty soundproof. I noticed later on. It's, yeah. And Aaron told us too. He was like, "Hey, there's all the sound out here that you guys didn't hear when you were in the room." Yeah. Because he came out two days earlier because yeah. he got sick from the food, unfortunately. Yeah. And. uh yeah, seeing him, I was just like, like a little kid. I was like, oh my god, you can see it in the recording as well. My body was just like, <laughs> like a little kid would be happy. About uh-huh. that. <laughs> it just runs. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I was just, and then I was seeing it. I was like, oh, we made it, dude. We, we made did it. it. I couldn't believe because I was like, just I was anticipating that moment so much, and then it happened. Uh-huh. And uh, compared to making the sale of my business. And this, <laughs> this was better. This was better yes, than selling moment. your business. I remember the, wow. the, the big, the first big payment came in. I was like, cool. Cool. What am I going to do now? <laughs> What's next? Yeah. But I was Coming like, out of the dark room was more exciting than selling your company. Yeah. That is, that. that's amazing. That's really yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then uh, seeing you as well. I mean, you look like, <laughs> you look like you just slept for seven days. You're like a, a bed head. <laughs> you know like unshaven and everything right? yeah, yeah and uh we were so dizzy coming out of there right yeah well we you guys came into my room i had i lit the candle and we we talked briefly about our experience and we're like we need to go to the beach yeah walking to the beach was hard because it was dizzy we were dizzy yes. right and so we just had to walk slow and just be careful and the beach was a 10 minute walk i would say it wasn't far at all we walked on hills for the first time in a week on you know uh, inclines and declines and then we walked on sand when we were at the beach but i couldn't think of a more perfect way to so beautiful man yeah i remember seeing before the sun or right as the sun came up and started to get light seeing the ripples on the ocean and so detailed it was so detailed and it was just fascinating the ripples on the ocean like we're just mesmerized by that and then we had these little fish that would jump out and then we started to see the colors like the deep tropical forest there and on the beach and i was in, i was i was blown away by the depth of the deep greenery on the shore from these trees i was just like mesmerized by that as well it's just like wow 
water felt amazing going under the water because we would go swim in uh, the ocean it was just it's just good and so much stimulus it was a lot you yeah. could see you could hear you could talk to chris you could talk to aaron you could yeah oh, man. felt a little high just just you know still buzzing from the experience for sure i think for the rest of the day i felt high i just felt this high this 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 buzzing this is yeah the sun came up and it was extremely vivid and this perfect ball of fire you know yeah 130,000 miles from earth that gives us all life and we're just like whoa <laughs> sun <laughs> yeah yeah and that was it that was it and then so i have some brief whoop data here actually that i would so my whoop only picked up about three to three of the seven days Going in, I was 180 pounds, but after afterwards, I came out at about 170, and still 10 days later, I'm hitting 172 mark, so that coconut water fast was pretty impressive, but we didn't eat a lot of food in there. It was probably less calories than we burned. Oh, yeah. I burned more calories than I in the dark room than I normally do in my regular day. In my regular day, I'm sitting around 15 to 1,700, a day of work, sitting at the computer with my hour of exercise. In the dark room, I was burning about 2,000 or more a day, 2,000, 2,100, 2,200. I would sleep eight to nine hours per night, and I would have my regular sleep disturbances, four to seven per night. That's pretty common. And I was estimating I was waking up around five, so I would actually wake up around 4.45 to 5 to 5.15. And meditation was six to eight hours a day, roughly. I'd get in a nap, sometimes a couple a day. 2,100. And 50 calories on day three, 2,000 calories on day four. HRV was, I think, higher than normal, which was a bit interesting, too. I have to relook at that. Which is good? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to read HRV. I don't know. HRV is heart rate variability. Correct, yeah. So I think the higher it is, the better. But I might be wrong. Well, usually you're hitting usually you're hitting 94, 95 HRV, right? And the doc says that's really good. Usually I hit around 70 HRV, which is still good. You just don't want it below 70, I think, for HRV. So maybe if it was 120, 115, then it was even better. Yeah. We'll have to talk with the doc more about that stuff. So now we're getting into the exciting stuff. How did the dark room change our brains? Pre-dark room... Doc said I was burnout, needed a digital detox. Frontal lobes weren't communicating to the, the rear lobes, the parietal and temporal lobes. And so the day we came out, Doc said my brain was kind of running, running on fumes until I pushed it. Uh, then it would run well and then crash again, which kind of explains the fatigue that I had been having over the past three years. Um, so post-dark room, I did mine the day I came out. You did yours the day f after that. So I increased my brain voltage 125%. That's more than double. More than double in the dark. 100% doesn't mean it stays the same. 100% means it's double yeah. plus 125%. Plus 25% on top of that, which is phenomenal. And the doc was shocked by that. Brockenshire, he was shocked by that. Knowing that seven days in the darkness increased my brain voltage that much, it immediately made me want to go back. And so, <laughs> no, so not for me. It's like Leon's like, heck no. Um, and so, like, the first two days coming out, I was like, maybe I don't, I don't know if I'll do this again. Maybe a few years down the road, if I feel called to it. Then, like, on the, the following Thursday and Friday and Saturday, I kind of missed it. And I was like, you know, I could do this again next year. I, I got a lot out of this because I started processing everything. When I got the brain scans result, results back, I was like, 
I want to go in three months because wow. it's it's impressive. He said, literally, you did you did what no one can do in a very short period of time with your brain activity. The first time he saw my brain scan in January, ten months ago, eleven months ago, he needed I he knew that I needed to unplug and needed a long long term break. He said all of the signs in the brain scan points to a major shift in consciousness. I showed you guys earlier the separation and connection between my frontal lobes and the, the rear part of my brain and in post uh, dark room there those are connected not completely like not as much as leon's are but they're they're much better than going into the dark room and that was significant so the key takeaways that he said it helped me get in touch with my subconscious more and help train my brain in the absence of stimulus to learn how to respond to a predictable stress without getting stressed during the process. Basically with my eyes open, during a complicated test my brain still thinks it's meditating, which is really kind of cool. It's, <laughs> it's a Zen thing. It's right? cool. It's like a monk on a on a on a mountain meditating, yeah. right? Uh, he says, I'm getting really good at calm focus and pre pre present consciousness. My coherence really got amplified and it started to wake areas of my brain up that were really sleeping. I have significantly more connections between the front and the rear part of my brain, which is very hard to do, especially in a short period of time. You can't like fix this with supplements. You have to do this on your own through meditation, through relax, relaxation, yoga, being conscious, this sort of thing. The absence of stimuli seems like it really was a great solution. It's and he said this. It's code breaking activity for the brain, which was like code breaking, code -breaking activity. I've got some quotes here too from him. Yeah, the seers. Yeah, they're similar. Here, so one of the things that he said was uh, to me, your darkroom session totally healed your brain. Totally, he, he repeated himself. Yeah, Leon, your you let me say that your again. Brain. Your darkroom session totally you, healed your brain. You fixed the injury. <laughs> so yeah. Um, for me, one of the so things you was, had concussions. Just real quick, you had concussions yeah. before. Yeah, that had been. Right. I had old head injuries, and uh, the frontal part of the brain was damaged and not connect connecting in delta state. Eyes closed and eyes open, it mm -hmm. wouldn't connect. So when, which basically he said means when my brain is calm, there's zero emotional recall, um, mm. and put, it's potentially a PTSD pattern that may need to be dug out. Um, and then he also said, oh yeah, my guess is after, when he looked at the scan after it, he said, oh, my guess is you went through some stuff in that room. I was like, oh, I did, it <laughs> makes so, sense yeah. now. Um, and so yeah, he said, I fixed the injury. Uh, he actually said, I might need to write, We someone might need to write a paper on this or yeah, some to... other way to get this out there to let people know. Yeah. Because uh, he said, most people can't do what you guys did with your brain. This is not something small. Yeah. Uh, he's, oh, he also said, you guys inspired me to, you know, maybe do an experiment on myself too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, for me, T6, the temporal lobe was totally unresponsive before the dark room. Now it's enhanced. Now I'm starting to pull in communication between the injured, the injured areas and the emotional brain. So balancing the, the right and the left brain more. And um, yeah, it was completely un unconnected. And um, yeah, might have still have to do some work to do it in my subconscious. He he also said that it's it's basically that the way it works is that the brain is healing from the inside out, right? And that process has started now, so it's it's just getting better now. Let's see, it's Congratulations! Yeah, <laughs> thanks for inspiring me to do this. It's man. exciting, man. I it mean, is. I mean, seven and days, right? I sleep better now. You sleep better. I don't know if it's because of the dark room. Is it because of the 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 logical learnings that I've made of like, hey, 
self-love i'm already happy my cup is already overflowing Mm -hmm. or is it because there's just some parts of my brain that weren't connected properly where i just couldn't figure out how to how to rest to rest yeah so i'm I'm, we'll have to follow up to see how long your restful sleep lasts Mm. you know that'll be hopefully forever right Yeah. yeah um but that'll be really interesting to see phenomenal results and that's that's the thing with the brain scanner like we could really see tangible results from a professional on the benefits of meditation of taking time and being without stimuli being without our devices i didn't miss my phone at all i didn't miss my computer email at all i didn't miss anything i was like engaged actually the guy down there said you'll you'll miss your phone no i don't think so uh and we didn't i think you guys the dark room is a sacred place there's a reason why tribal cultures and monks have been going into these caves and these dark room processes for thousands of years literally and it's not a popular thing these days but i think for anybody that feels a calling i think you should consider it and do your own research to make sure it is for you and i think it's a place where you can you can dive deep you can dive internally understand really what's going on with your mind and your body and your emotions revisit some past stuff that you have let go of that grow as a human become a stronger human being there's a reason why the native american tribes would have their boys go into these dark mud huts and learn how to have vision quests and learn how to get clarity and learn how to deal with adversity and in their inner workings of their internal world also if you're open to it a place where the universe can give you incredible insights and you can sit there and learn so much about the universe by being in a dark room because you literally have nothing else to do if you're willing to see through your own stuff that's there as well and I think it's a sacred place and recommend it for anybody I'm going back one other thing you guys I do want to mention I think this is a great substitute for psychedelic healing I know a lot of people are diving into the psychedelic world. Me personally, I do not like taking substances. They've never really done well for me. I never understood why those substances, like why people would get these incredible experiences from psychedelic treatments. And for me, it was just like, uh, until I got a brain scan, I got a brain scan and Doc Brockenshire actually, he told me, he goes, your brain is not a brain that we would recommend psychedelics for. And that was it. And it shocked me. He goes, you've done a lot of work on your brain. You have these receptors that are open and you aren't a person that I would recommend it for. And that's probably why you don't get much out of the experience. He goes, for people that have something like PTSD, they go and they take psychedelics like ayahuasca or mushrooms and then these receptors open in their brains and they see the world completely differently they feel differently so people that have had past trauma or ptsd or have massive social anxiety psychedelics are really healing those folks but now we have scientific evidence that the the dark room has really done something beneficial for our brains as we went in and we're excited to explore that more to see that. I think meditation and the darkroom is really the best substitute for psychedelic treatments if people don't want to use those substances. I think it's a great alternative. Okay, next we got to hop into a little Q&A session. And we got a list of questions from our audience. Also, this was recorded another week post the podcast, this Q&A session. So 
we'll get a little further insight about what it's like being, I guess, two and a half weeks out of the dark room, close to three now. And I'll run through the questions and then we'll go from there. So first, we have a question from Graham Parrish. Was there pineal gland activation or any visions, vivid dreams or visions? And for those that don't know, the pineal gland is the, an area in the brain that actually creates uh, and produces melatonin. It's a serotonin-derived hormone which modulates like sleep patterns both in circadian and seasonal cycles. It's located in the center part of the brain between the two hemispheres of the brain. And the primary function of the pineal gland is to produce melatonin. Melatonin has various functions in the central nervous system, the most important of which is to help modulate the sleep patterns. Melatonin uh, production is stimulated by darkness and inhibited by light. Some people consider the pineal gland the third eye. So definitely in a dark room, there's some fluctuation of melatonin. I'm guessing that the pineal gland was definitely stimulated, especially on day, well, I'd say three, four, five, six, and seven. <laughs> kind of felt like it, I guess, if that's what creates vivid dreams and visions. I mean, for you, definitely. You were sitting in a rainforest and stuff. And you, were seeing, <laughs> you were seeing people sitting in their room. I mean. Yeah, something was happening there. I don't know. Yeah, what, you know, definitely. Uh, Aaron Bell asked the reintroduction to the light process. I thought it would be actually a bit more intense than it was. It, it that not to take it away, it was an incredible experience for sure. Um, especially when the sun started to come up and, and just like seeing the depth of the greenery on the beach shore was really, really awesome. And then the ripples in the waves and the sun coming up and seeing the sun, all of it was really, really great. I don't know. I thought I actually kind of expected, not on purpose, but just expected it'd be maybe you know even more intense but it wasn't and it was a great process like i i believe if i remember correctly either i don't know if i lit a candle first or opened the door first to be honest with you i think i think i probably lit the candle and then opened the door it seemed like for leon lighting the candle was a bit more intense and it kind of shocked his eyes for me i don't think it was and then i slightly opened the door and saw the guys, they came into to my dark room and and we did a little meditation and headed towards the beach. Walking through the dark in the morning, you know, things were dizzy for us for sure, but it was a great experience and it was a 10 minute walk to the beach. Being on the beach was just very euphoric, really a great, great experience. So Jay Sin says, did you get more comfortable with the darkness over time or did it get harder? I don't think it got harder, Jason. I think, you know, I was comfortable going into the darkness. I was ready for it. I thought I knew what to expect for the most part. You know, there's times, of course, I was like, man, light would be great now or other people would be great now. But I just close my eyes and I'd meditate and I, or I would think deeply and that would kind of go away. Yeah, for me, it wasn't the darkness. It was just the, th the thoughts and just the the torture of these thoughts and the physical pain that came from it. Yeah, it was our own darkness that yeah. we really had to yeah. confront and but not... In yeah, in the beginning, it was the uh, the uh, darkness was uncomfortable because it was just like whoa, and you're just thinking, mm -hmm. "This is gonna be for seven days. How am I gonna deal with this?" But you get used to it yeah. quickly, and then it's just yeah, it's just normal. 
And up next, Joe Ellen Stratton Barnes says, Was it depressing? In the winter months, the days seem long and dark. I miss the sunlight on my face, but I know that the light, uh, that there's light in the darkness, and it gives me a sense of peace and fortitude. I'm sure the dark changes your mind and such and shifts your focus. So I was never depressed. Uh, I didn't feel depression in the dark room. I didn't really miss the sunlight either. You know, to be honest with you, when I sat down and I would drink my quote unquote cocktail, which was my organic beetroot powder juice supplements in the morning, I would just picture myself being on the beach talking to my parents and I would be in the sunlight in my mind. I didn't really miss it. I had plenty of plenty of feelings of peace and fortitude for sure. And the focus, yeah, it turns inward, very much inward. Um, when you're in the dark and you see your own darkness, but you see your own light as well. I know that I was going through very intense emotions um, and that I was going to have to process those. So it never gave me a sense of depression, sadness. Yeah. Uh, Mourning. Yes. But not depression. No. Same for me. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it wouldn't be the same as in in winter. That feeling that you get when you're like, I'd rather go into the dark room than have a winter in Canada. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think like a lot of the the long winters have to do with one, us being inside too much. We need to get outside more. We need to be in nature more. We need to get sunlight, even if it's not direct sunlight on our bodies. We need to take D3 to boost our serotonin, do activities. Even like standing in a Superman pose for two minutes will boost serotonin levels. So Joellen, that's a, a good tip for your long winters. Henry Snow says, I'd like to know the why. Why did you do this? Henry, we talk about that in the podcast for sure. And um, why? Frankly, because I heard it on Aubrey's podcast and I knew I had to do it. It was a calling. There's no other way to describe it. And when I feel really called to something, I just surrender to it. I was called to travel the world. I did that for nine years, still kind of doing it, um, but less during COVID. I felt called to start a business, so I did that. Uh, felt called to start multiple businesses. Felt called to... Um, start a podcast I did that felt called to go to grad school I did that felt called you know whatever um so I just whenever I feel like I really want to do something I just do it the torture of not doing something I'm really called to do is just kind of foreign to me because I don't I just surrender to whatever it is and I I think I really always have since I've been a young guy a young man but yeah so I just did it Tania Castillo, did you fast during the period? So I did a three-day coconut water and water fast, and I did that on day five, six, and seven. Did you ever feel like you lost track of time? The, it's good that you did that with the food because I always knew when it was 10 a.m. and when it was 5 p.m., mm-hmm. and um, I guess you also had a general sense. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there was a rooster outside, and, I, you know, the cliche is like, it's yep. morning, the rooster goes, go, go. Yep. And those roosters, man... They were really bored too. They did it all day. <laughs> the dogs, like, we could hear dogs bark too. Yeah, the do- the dogs. Um, the only times where I lost track of time was when I would wake up in the morning and I would be tired and I didn't know is it the, is it the middle of the night or is it is it morning? Yeah, and I would know once the knock comes because the food came. It's like oh, it must be ten a.m. And we can kind of hear I can kind of hear the night night insects. 
like the I bugs. I was thinking that, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, I, I like, could hear is that. Is that really that, or do I hear that all the time? <laughs> yeah. But sometimes a rooster would crow in midday. You know, I'm like, what are you crowing for? It's like, yeah. you know, you're supposed to crow at five or six or whatever. I would like to lose more track of time. So Me too. I think if I do it again, like I would do a water fast. So I would like to lose that. Wow, yeah, that yeah. would be intense. I don't think I would have made it if I didn't. No, if I couldn't count down the hours. Yes. <laughs> I would have made it, but it would have been much harder. It would have been a much different experience, maybe. Yeah. Um, How did we get our water? We had three 20-gallon jugs of water with a little pump on there we can put into our water bottles. Yeah. Why seven days? I think just because Aubrey did a week in a dark room. I think he did a little less. I think Aubrey did six days and we wanted to one-up him. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was like we had to book it for at least 10 days. And I, and I was thinking a week because I was like, oh, week just sounds good, right? Yeah. And then we can fit that into our schedule pretty easily. Yeah. And I can come, you know, be there a day early, get settled, you know, and then have a couple of days on the back end. So they, they made us book it for 10 days. Yeah. And that's kind of like also the plan for the uh, the visions where it's like day one to three melatonin rises, you get dizzy, you start getting into mm -hmm. the state where you don't, you don't know whether it's sleep, a dream, or whether you're awake. Mm -hmm. Then... The next day is there's some other chemical that starts, yeah, that starts producing these uh, these light visuals, and then six and seven, that's when it gets wow. intense. Yeah, that's when you can get to that stage, which I I didn't get to, but you know they said down there that that they had a person stay forty days, and they extended it an extra twelve, ended up staying fifty two days uh, in a dark room, and that's next level like yeah it's yeah i wonder what your brain looks like after that yes right? how was the process going back to reality that's a good question so almost three weeks out now danny and being back to reality i feel more grounded more confident more clear more at ease than i did going into the dark room for sure and i'm not a person that wasn't confident wasn't clear wasn't grounded wasn't at ease but i feel even more of that stuff to be honest with you lighter i feel lighter and yeah, I'm just happy to be alive. <laughs> I'm glad I found this dark room thing. Uh, another question are our goals and priorities previously established being reconsidered and shifting. And that's something I was surprised about because I thought there would be, you know, when you usually do something like this, a personal growth seminar, you do a Vipassana meditation, you do something, you know, what I call the, the macro dose, right? Uh, this is the macro dose, the micro dose is the daily habits. So when you do that, the yeah, quite often your goals and prior, priorities may shift. I was really surprised and actually grateful that pretty much none of mine did. And what that what that told me is that I've worked really hard to one. I'm a goal setting coach, so I've worked really hard to uh, on my own goals and my own priorities to realize that I'm on the right path and I'm doing the right things that I need to be doing. I say in the podcast that I. Uh, thought I would think about creating more business and think about business more and new types of businesses and projects to create and to work on. And I was kind of grateful that I didn't because when I started meditating and the business ideas came up, I, I, everything that came up was like, I'm already doing that. I'm already right on track. I'm already hitting, hitting in the right trajectory in life. And so, so nothing major shifted. The only thing that really shifted is like, Hey, I want to write. So my new like my new um, routine in the morning 
So I used to wake, wake up, meditate, exercise, start work and do my deep work in the morning. I keep my phone off until about noon and then go throughout my day End in the afternoon, usually even, excuse me, in the evening around five or six. Sometimes I would work later than that, but often I would end there and just kind of had do a social thing in the evening. And uh, the only thing that's changed with that is that I'm waking up, meditating for an hour now and doing some content creation immediately for an hour or so and then do my exercise, then start my work stuff. So that's what shifted. Would you do it differently if you did it again? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a bit. I, I think I might try 10 days and then maybe do a five-day water fast on the back end to lose sense of time. Did you feel like it was a week long? That's an interesting question because it all feels like a blur. When you look back, uh-huh. it's, it's day five. What did I do the past four or five days? I don't know. It was all the same. It was just a blur uh-huh. um, because every day is so similar. But at the same time, the time is going very slow. So once we got out of there, it was like, wow, that week went quick. Yeah. But while... For me, while I was in there, I was like, it's so slow. It took so long. And it's, it's basically the same. It's basically an epiphany that I had as well earlier in my life. When, when I started traveling, mm-hmm. I was like, the first two or three years of like me being out of school and traveling the world and all that stuff, I was like, wow, life is so long. Because when I look back, I would go to school every day, always the same thing. It was just a blur. But now I have so many different references. So it's the same for people who always have the same day to day where it's just like every day looks the same your life just flies by because it all seems the same and you, you all package it into the same folder in your mind where it's like, oh yeah, I did you know? Yeah. So yeah, time was kind of uh, slow while it was happening. <laughs> but in hindsight, it went by very quick. For, for me, it went faster than I thought. Um, and I think it's because I kept my daily routine. Yeah. Uh, and I would dive into these meditations that sometimes would be a couple hours. And it's like, whoa, that was a long time that just passed. I don't know how much time it was. And then I'd hear a knock, say, here's your coconut water. It's like, whoa, that was really fast between 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So it's interesting. And it was, for me, as much faster than I thought. Mary D. Mary D. says, what occupied your mind the most? Um, I think, really, Mary D., the only way to ask, answer this question, because so much stuff came, came up, as you can imagine, just think about all your thoughts you had in a, in a regular week. And we have 60,000 a day, right? Uh, when you're thinking about those thoughts or in, ingrained in those thoughts because you have no visual stimuli that you, you're kind of in more in those thoughts and there was just so much that came up. There wasn't one thing that occupied my mind the most. The only thing I would just wanted to do is meditate as much as possible and see where it took me. And that was the main goal. And, um, and I did it. And Mary also says, did you spend time in the past, present, or future? I did all of the above. One of the things I didn't talk about on the podcast is I had this really intense experience where I went to, there's a situation of what happened to me when I was a young boy, probably about 12 years old, and it altered my life. And I was in through this meditation and visualization. What happened is I went back to that moment. I went back to the moments in my life that really I know were impactful and traumatic in some sort of way and this event altered my life and so I went back to that event to that little boy and I had a new conversation with that little boy and I said okay here's like I know for a fact like my life has had shifted a different direction and brought up a lot of insecurities over the years because of this event that happened and so I went into 
so it happened like at a camp out and we were camping and I, I went back to that little boy and I had a conversation with him and I said, okay, this is the story that's happening. Here's the man you're going to become little boy. And here, here's the story we should tell ourselves from here on out. And it was kind of a nice experience. And then what happened in the vision is that a bunch of other people that are in my family or that I admire and respect came into the the vision as well. And then all of us like worked on the little boy and the little boy kind of cried. My younger version of myself kind of cried and let some of this stuff go. And then it was a cool kind of healing process. So that was uh, one of the things that I experienced thinking about the past present of course quite a bit and future yes I, I didn't mention this on the podcast as well so on a podcast you know I only about I, I feel like I could only I only spoke about half the things that happened just because the way that podcast was unfolding and we didn't want to make it too long and uh, so there's another podcast in there I don't know if I'll actually make another one but there's another podcast in there for sure about things that I haven't talked about on the podcast all of them great and just really a great experience. So I think on day six and seven, I, I had this intense vision of me and my future self with ch- children, with a wife, with our home, you know, and where I want to have my future home at. And it was a really intense, I was there, like I was in that moment, maybe it's three, maybe it's five years down the road or so, but I was I was there. It was, I hadn't had a vision that intense about that, that type of experience, like holding my children, future children, this sort of thing. So it was, it was really cool. And Becca Button, I don't know if it's Button or Botone. Becca says, what were your highest and lowest points? I I don't think there was really any low points. I think there was traumatic points or sad points that, but I was never like not enjoying the experience to really be honest with you because I enjoy challenges as well so even when there's a challenge that's hard that can be considered a low point I'm still like in that state of enjoying the experience so the the most intense definitely was probably day five and it was one of the highest moments for sure and if you if I could consider a low moments any of it a low moments I would say day five as well but it wasn't really low even when I was crying for like two hours I don't consider I consider that a healing moment not a low moment and so no real low moments to be honest and Becca also asked did you want to quit early the thought came up especially on day five but I would have never seriously done it unless the hallucinations on day five were so intense that I couldn't, I would, I was just, I couldn't have control. So one of the things is like, if I lost control at any moment, any type of control with the kind of conscious knowing that I could opt out of any of the experiences in any time, if I lost that, which I thought on day five, I'm, if it continued the way it was when I went to bed, then I may have quit early, but I, I went to bed, woke up the next morning, everything was on reset, it was back back to normal. But it would be really difficult for me to get me to quit early knowing how like fully committed I was to the experience. Did you want to quit early? No. Not really? No option. That's not a, I couldn't no. That's if I if I if I would have gotten sick like Aaron, I would have done it too. Because he got sick from the food and it's just yeah. not something you would do, there's no point. But no, if it's just for my mind, it, no. That's yeah. like a for me it's just like a thing, like no. The eating experience was that was interesting because 
it's sometimes I had to use my hands to figure out what it was because you had the same thing every day. I did not the first four days. So I had to touch a thing, and I one day I swore I got the wrong thing, and I was like, why did I get the wrong thing? <laughs> and so then I'd have to slowly eat it, you know, to make sure I didn't spill it on myself or my lap or anything. But I'd have to touch it every time. Sometimes I could smell it and say, oh, this is fruit and yogurt. But did you plan your week before you started? No, we just kind of went in there and said, let's see what happens. Wish I would have. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe it's good that I didn't. Because my plans went out the window anyways with these thoughts that yeah. issues that I didn't know I was tr- struggling with. And I was like, no, but I, I was planning on doing this. You know, if I yeah. plan more, you know. Francis says, what emotion did you feel the most? Anger, love, sadness, fear, and loneliness. Um, if I had to choose one that I felt the most, without a doubt, it's love for sure. Felt anger for sure. Felt sadness for sure. Felt fear for sure. And not a lot of loneliness. Not a lot of loneliness. But a lot of love, 100%. And did you study other people who did it? I just listened to Aubrey Marcus's podcast. Uh, I think I listened to his podcast twice, and he was interviewed on a podcast. I believe it's called East Forest Podcast, and I listened to that as well. Kristen McKelvey, when did you decide to go to sleep? I went to sleep when my body told me it was time to go to sleep, usually around 8 or 9 p.m. Was it like jail? Not at all. I mean... You could assume that it was kind of like jail, but you always could just open a door and walk out. You know, we locked the door from the inside. It's not locked from outside. But it was very dark, you know, hard floors, hard walls, one little bed. Wasn't the most comfortable bed in the world, but if you think jail's like that, then maybe. But I didn't feel like I was in solitary confinement at any time. We joke about it, you know, I think we say, oh, we're in solitary confinement. But no, I never, never felt like that. Why did you decide to do the way you did it? Why not? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was like a week sounds good. Uh, Mexico is the only place that we could really travel right now other than, you know, there's a place in Portland, Oregon that does it, I think, and they were booked out until March or May. So we we went to Mexico, picked this place. The aesthetics look really nice. So And it had multiple dark rooms, so me and the other guys could go and I'll do it at the same time. Vittorio de Janeiro, where is it available? Many places around the world, not many, but a handful. The ones that I found are, there's one in Thailand, there's a few in Thailand actually. I haven't heard about any in Thailand that have like a good solid facilitation process. One in Germany that Aubrey Marcus did, I think it's a really great place. It's probably one of the best. I think there's a place in Portland that does it. Seems like it has a good reputation. The three places in Mazunte. Hidaya in Mizunte has one dark room. I think they have a good uh, facilitation process and a good reputation. In this place in Guatemala, it's called the Hermitage, that I think I'm going to check out for the next dark room. And I think they have a good facilitation process and have a co- couple really cool dark rooms there. So that's next. Reed Lewis says, Did you do anything specifically to mentally prepare? Good question, Reed. Short answer, not a lot. Just listened to a couple podcasts about the dark room actually I, I forgot i read a, a book about the dark room it's on amazon i'm sure you can find it it's only like 40 pages you know i got a couple good tips in the book but it wasn't kind of what i expected for a book on the dark room it's a woman talking about her experience and i didn't relate to it a lot so it was just kind of like it, it, it's an interesting read 
I think like the biggest mental preparation read is, you know, I'm a high performance guy on a regular basis anyway. So I'm preaching regularly about, you know, habits and daily habits. And in one of the insights that I didn't talk about on the podcast was the difference between when it comes to daily habits, micro doses and macro doses. So the daily habits are a microdose, right? You meditate for a little bit every day. You do an exercise every day. You work on your, you know, whatever goals you have every day and your priorities. And doing conferences, doing seminars, doing meditation retreats, those are the macrodoses. Those are where you go to get to meet some new people that can help you see the world differently, change your paradigms, and learn new things and so those are the macro doses in life and the macro doses don't don't matter whatsoever unless you apply the micro doses unless you learn something from that conference that seminar that retreat then nothing ever changes uh, you've got to you've got to once you learn something you've got to then apply the micro doses on a regular basis so the micro dose of me meditating um, Monday through Friday for an hour for the past year and almost a half really had me mentally prepared to do a dark room plus of a Vipassana meditation I did a year ago all of this stuff kind of like built up over the years I've been meditating for a long time I've been working on personal development to have me you know fully prepared for the dark room without doing much preparation so um think about that like I I recommend anybody you know the 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 magic pill is in the daily habits if you want to change your life if you really want to change your life you can go to this awesome seminar you pay ten thousand dollars for if you don't apply anything you learn from that on a daily basis then your habits your life your priorities you won't, it won't change and the magic pill is in the daily habits i'll preach it over and over like if you i want to change my life a little bit from the dark room what i want to do is add more add an hour every day monday through friday where i just create content and that's my kind of sacred time where i create content and so that's what I've added to my daily schedule. So the magic pill is in the daily habits. So would you recommend it or not? Another question by Reed, would you recommend it or not? Um, if you feel called to it, yeah. and you have certain self-awareness and uh, not too many suppressed traumas that will eat you inside and, and kill you, mm -hmm. then yes. Yeah. If you are an yeah, an everyday person that's not familiar with meditation, with retreats. I didn't have any vipassana. So this is your first retreat type yeah, of thing. Yeah. I did a lot of self awareness work. Yeah, you know, just digging, like just looking at my past and all that. I did a lot of that. So there's nothing that was like completely new to me. But yeah, if you're someone that has gone through a lot of trauma and you've never dealt with it, and then you go in there, it can be very intense. Don't I imagine. Do it. Don't do it. If it's your first time, I would recommend doing it with facilitators. And I think that would be really, it would have changed the other guy's experience a bit more if they had a facilitation process, in my experience as well. And I would recommend it for sure. I'm going, I'm going to do it again. So, so yeah, try it out. Thomas Danielson says, how was your sleep? Uh, slept more, Thomas. Took one or two naps per day. I think maybe I took three naps, you know, first couple of days. And then slept eight or nine hours per day, usually. We thought maybe they would be shorter, but it would be shorter because we weren't doing a lot of physical activity, but it just ended up being eight or nine hours. My dreams are vivid usually, and actually my dreams are more vivid when I'm meditating on a regular basis, especially if I meditate when I go to bed. If I stop meditating, um, my dreams become less vivid and I remember them less. 
And so I wouldn't say they were any more vivid in a dark room because I was meditating more. I just meditate on a regular basis and they're vivid usually for the most part. How did it affect the appetite specifically? You know, I never had any really hunger come up when I was doing the coconut water fat, coconut and water fast, which is interesting. I thought I would have more hunger come up. Finally, on like the third day of the fast, I had a bit of it come up and I would just drink water and meditate and it would go away. Um, a little bit of hunger on the first couple days because they gave us two kind of small meals. I wouldn't even call them medium size. And they, and they were great meals, but I had some hunger come up and I would just drink water and it kind of go away. Anastasia Lou, did you have a moment where you thought you were going to go nuts? <laughs> How was it for your psyche? No, I never felt like, I mentioned, I never felt like at any time I was going to go nuts at all. I felt like I always had control to opt out. And the one day that it got really intense, I just went to bed and woke up the next morning and it was fine. And for my psyche, I think it was incredibly beneficial. As mentioned, like, you know, almost three weeks out of the dark room now, feel very grounded, feel very clear, feel very happy, feel very light, feel very grateful. I think it's a very good experience. Now I don't, I'm going to say, you know, with a caveat, I don't think this is something that's for everybody, but I think that you can get your mindset up to a place that it can be for you if that's something that you're ready for. And again, with a facilitation process, I think you would understand the process of everything that's going to happen. So for example, perfect example is, is Leon had a bunch of tension and pain and emotion just like come out and come up in his chest of past thoughts and insecurities. And he could feel that really in his chest and it created uh, pain for him and he didn't know what to do with it. So he, he just, he just kind of ignored it until he couldn't ignore it anymore. And I think with a facilitator, they would have known like when I, I had a similar experience where this tension came up in my chest, I could feel this anger in my chest. And I knew that I wanted to attack that as soon as possible. I wanted to figure out what it was, go inside of that so I could let it go as soon as possible. And I think if Leon knew that process, then maybe it would have been more beneficial for him. He said it was a positive experience overall. It was good for his psyche and uh, mine as well. Did we have hallucinations? I did for sure. And did you experience the DMT state? I believe I did. Yes. Alex Azori, he's asking about what felt different to a silent retreat or a Vipassana compared to this. A silent retreat and Vipassana for me was lighter, Alex, because you could always open your eyes and see and kind of come out of the meditation and you walk around and you're just kind of at peace, maybe do some yoga or whatever you're doing in a Vipassana. So it wasn't as intense, but there was, during my Vipassana, there was some visions that were very intense and very awesome and actually helped me gain more clarity and grounding in life and direction, which was really great. The darkroom was like that times 10, maybe 15. I don't know. <laughs> so it was it was great. Could they be compared to on a spectrum? Yes, I think so. Just the Vipassana was lighter. Stephen James Buford. What were your most common thought patterns and how did they change during the process? There wasn't really a commonality other than I want to meditate and I want to go deep. That was it. Stephen, like there wasn't a commonality of things coming up for me on a regular basis. It was for Leon. He had insecurities and things from his past come up on a regular basis. For me, I would meditate, 
I would start to have visions. I would go deep and deep and deep. I would let that vision kind of evolve and to whatever it was, I would get the lesson that was out of it. I would record, hop, pop on my recorder, record it, and then go on to the next meditation. There'd be a new vision, a new rabbit hole to go down, then a record about that. Melanie Ginsberg asked about how are we sleeping now that we're out? Leon's sleeping very well, almost three weeks out. And he has regular disturbances and on a regular basis for years, like he's had really bad sleep. And now he's sleeping much, much, much better, like not waking up in the middle of the night at all. Me, I'm sleeping the same as I was before. You know, I sleep seven, eight hours. I sleep pretty well. And nothing changed. I slept a little more in a dark room. And I sleep about the same, you know, coming out. Matt Wilson asked, was this guided? And what style of meditation did I practice? So there was no guide at all, Matt. Like, they gave us a few suggestions before we went into the dark room. I would, again, recommend getting a facilitator if you go for the first time. What style of meditation? I did a style of meditation. I learned in Vipassana. The main style was I would just close my eyes and focus on the darkness behind my eyes. And any thoughts that came up, I would just let them drift off. Or I have sometimes if I have a lot of thoughts coming, I have like a vacuum cleaner thing, like a thing that sucks thoughts away. And so if it comes up, it's just like, it sucks all my thoughts really rapidly. And then when I did that, I think I would go into the deeper states of mind, Matt. I would go into from beta state of mind to alpha and theta and maybe even delta state of mind and get into those deep states of mind and then the visions would start coming and then I would uh, follow that vision wherever it went. Michaela Light says, what personal or spiritual insights did you gain from this? Really a new, I guess if you can have this, a new relationship with my spirit, I would say, with my soul, understanding it differently, being in a place where I saw it and felt it and was in this like state of nirvana with my soul was really great and it just brings like a smile to my face every time I think about it. It brings me some happiness. And so when I meditate now, I go back to, to that feeling, to that experience of seeing my spirit and keep that with me for as long as I live, I'm sure. What were you afraid of about the experience? Nothing really. There was some anxiety that came up about right before we went into the dark room. So nothing too tense. Did you start talking to yourself? Michaela, I start, I, I talk to myself anyway in my thoughts and Verbally. I don't think it's abnormal for people to talk to yourself. I think that's an old adage for sure. And people regularly have accepted that they can talk to themselves and not be crazy these days. So yes, I did talk to myself in the dark room quite a bit, saying to myself, danced. I talked to other people in the dark room too. I'd bring people into my mind's eye and have conversations with them as well, sometimes verbally, physically verbally, and sometimes just in my thoughts. Cat Cocolette asked, did you have any interactions with other humans during the week? Zero cats. Actually, we could write notes to the people that brought us food to say, hey, you know, I don't want this the next day. Or I wrote a note, I wanted to start the fast. Or I thought I got the wrong meal one day. Turns out I didn't, but I thought I got the wrong meal one day. And I was like, hey guys, check the, mu- the menu, please. And I would always write little notes of gratitude, say, you know, thank you so much for bringing me food. I was very grateful that they brought me food and the coconuts. Um, I was just so happy that they did. You know, it's like you feel a lot of gratitude and experience like that. And when somebody's serving you, like literally serving you, they're bringing you food and you know that you're your health, you know, depends on that person just being responsible enough to bring you food. There's a, a lot of gratitude behind that. So I'd write little notes like, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And I give it, send it in the box. And then I, I would assume they picked it up. They, and I don't know what they did with it. Maybe they threw the notes away. 
but um, but that was the only interaction. What happened that you didn't expect? To be honest, Kat, like nothing really. I, I knew as a seasoned meditator, as a seasoned person that does personal development, I kind of had an idea of what to expect. I was open to anything. I wasn't like going there with in, intense expectations, but there wasn't a lot that happened that I didn't expect, you know. I mean, I saw a lot of visualizations and visions. I assumed that I would see that anyway. Uh, and there was a lot that, you know, surprised me. It was like, wow, that's weird. Like my Aunt Iona kept coming up in my visions um, on a regular basis. And I don't know why, like, you know, I wasn't that close to Aunt Iona. I loved her a lot. I know she loved me a lot. Um, she had a really close relationship with my mom. But, um, you know, I didn't expect that. And But it was a great experience nonetheless. I did, I did expect some crazy visions. That's what I got. Kelly Reinfeld said, did any of your friends have kids? And all her questions are around children. Kelly, no, none of us had kids. Can't answer. We're not qualified to answer any questions about children. Lisa Cloudier says, did fear play in? Sure, it always does, Lisa. Catherine Crawley says, what was the greatest wisdom that revealed itself? Uh, it would be that experience of being in nirvana and seeing my soul, seeing my spirit and seeing the spirit and souls and the light and everybody else. That was such a cool experience. I'll never forget that ever, ever. So Ron Lynch has some questions here. Was there phases and stages? Absolutely, we talked about that. Did you feel comfort uh, that you were free to go? Yes, we never felt. I don't think anybody felt like they needed to exit, but. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, did you ever have the urge to like leave the dark room? Yeah, the whole time. Well, I, I mean, did you ever seriously consider it? No. No. Okay. So for me, this whole thing, oh, I can always go out, like, it didn't exist for me. Like, there's, like, I was just. I didn't either. I would yeah. just be too critical of myself if I did. I, I mean, it depends on what happens, right? But yeah. for me, that wasn't an option. Yeah. So when I knew I went in, it's like it's not like oh I'll see how it go and then if it no no yeah it's seven days yeah so so Ron also asked did you ever think your friends bailed on you and you were the only one actually doing it you did I thought at time I was like what it was like a what if but I never like seriously thought it was like yeah it's possible Aaron and and Leon could be at the beach getting massages and I'm here you know I'm the only one doing this thing but it's not probable because like, like I surround myself with very strong minded people and I know you guys well and knowing that you guys committed to the time being in there through hell or hot water, you're going to be, plus it's only, it's your journey. So if he did leave on day three, like who cares? Aaron got sick, had to leave on day five yeah. and he had to take care of himself. And so that was, and it was his journey. Like if you ended up doing two days, like doesn't matter. I have my seven days that I committed yeah. to. Like, it really depends on what happens. If it, For me, if it was just, oh, I'm, I don't like dealing with my thoughts now and I feel really uncomfortable, I want to go out, that mm -hmm. wouldn't have been a reason. If it was physical sickness like Aaron, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or if it was some really traumatic, like I'm hyperventilating, I can't breathe, yeah. then of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like for me, there's a lot less stress to like succeed where that would mm. have been like an ego thing where it's like, oh, I have to do this. Yeah. I have to achieve this by this age. Like I still want to, but one of the realizations I had too was like, and I've always been on the fence with this, was like, I don't know. If you have the choice between like greatness, mm -hmm. let's say you build a Fortune 500 company, you revolutionize something and all that, or the choice between having a successful company that is smallish, maybe you make seven figures a year mm -hmm. in, in revenue. You have a team of 10, 15 people, maybe 20 people, but that team of people, you're like best friends. You have so much fun every day. You work with them mm -hmm. for for decades. And it's just like, you go through thick and thin. You have so much fun. And, you know, 
I would always pick the latter. Nice. I would always pick the the smaller success, yeah. outside success, but where I'm just like happy. I'm having, you know, and I have people that I share my life with, and we do something that we're really passionate about. Yeah. And I was always on the fence with that. Okay. Because like, because it's like you see all this greatness out there, and you know, you know, build bigger, more. Yeah, and you gotta be like a legend, like even if it means. Yeah. Even if it means you're not happy, because you know it's like. Yeah. But it's like no it's not that's not no. the way to go this is self-love <laughs> no. too like this is it is practice it is that. i need this because then then what yeah then you'll be one of the big ones why yeah. would you want to be one of the, the super successful ones yeah derek panclaw asked did your other senses change or intensify yeah absolutely i could smell myself more intensely derek which was kind of cool because i liked my smell actually it smelled very masculine very manly and i was like yeah i have an enjoyable smell but we showered regularly i just didn't wear deodorant you know no reason to derek also asked did you have your eyes closed most of the time you know i would forget at times derek whether my eyes are open or eyes are closed because it's all the same right um and sometimes then i thought my eyes were closed and i would blink like in a meditation and i would blink and i was like oh my eyes are open and then vice versa so i thought my eyes were open and then i would like check in like oh oh, and i actually opened my eyes so i you know didn't know sometimes (laughs) derek also asked did you miss human interaction not really i had plenty of interaction in there alessandra russell did you experience intense depression or mental health anxieties i did not i don't think i was ever depressed in there alessandra i don't think i had any mental health anxieties come up like as mentioned, I work on myself on a regular basis. I address any uh, you know, problems that I have pretty directly and work on them to overcome those challenges or illnesses. And um, so nothing really came up for me. I could see somebody who hadn't done as much work in the past have a lot of stuff come up. And as Leon talks about, you know, kind of in his experience, he had some stuff come up for sure that threw him into some new insights. Again, I'd recommend anybody do some research about it, you know, get some professional advice if they have intense health anxieties or depression before they jump into the dark room. I think it's a a sacred place, a beautiful place that can help heal people, but also it can be very, very uh, intense for other people. And so I would recommend like getting some advice if that's something that you do deal with on a regular basis and uh, and it's something that can help heal you. Molly Montgomery says, what did you find yourself laughing about during those seven days? A lot of stuff, Molly, I'd think about like old jokes or funny events that happened, you know, in my life. And sometimes you just laugh out loud. That was fun. Sometimes you laugh at yourself because like I'd forget or lose something in a dark room. So not a ton of laughter, but it would happen. And it was enjoy- very much enjoyable when, when those moments did come. Was I able to completely surrender? Yes, I think so, 100%. One of the meditations I did starting, I did this little mantra when I started on day one, just saying I surrender to whatever happens. I surrender to the process, I surrender. So it was easy for me. Malcolm Giles says, would you recommend seven days or less to anyone who would like to try it or seven days a magical number? Do whatever you feel like doing, Malcolm. Some people were like, I think one day in the dark would be beneficial, to be honest with you. Three days, you know, it'd be a good weekend, long weekend. And seven days if you can. There was a, at the retreat center we went to, they told us um, they had a person once 
book and stay in a dark room for 40 days. And then they actually extended that on day 38, 39. They said they wanted to stay 12 more. So they ended up staying in a dark room 52 days. I think that would be crazy. I don't know. Who knows what kind of insights you would get over that time. Dom Wells says, did you wear a face mask? Of course, Dom, we're social distancing and wear a face mask the whole time. Not. <laughs> Steven Steers says, what was your first thought when you got back into the light? So we opened up the door and it's still dark outside. So my first thoughts were like, hey, I wanted to see the guys, the other guys. I could hear them outside and I was excited to to see them and hear about their interactions or just see what they're going through in the, in the moment. And actually, the seeing the night sky, or the early morning sky when it was still dark, was I thought it would be more intense and more euphoric. Not that it wasn't, but it was just kind of like we were still dizzy and just like our brains were trying to figure out what was happening. So there was some confusion, I think, in our brains. But then when we got to the beach, the light started to come up. It was very awesome, very euphoric. So we have to give some thanks to some people that helped us through this process. A big shout out goes to Aubrey Marcus for sure. And without him, this whole journey wouldn't have started for any of us. And, you know, you're stud, dude. And thank you for leading, blazing the trail for us. And I'm sure you are following a trail that somebody blazed for you. And hopefully we can blaze a trail for some more people. Of course, I got to thank Leon and Aaron, my, my homies that went down to Mexico with me to take on this challenge. I appreciate that. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah, straight back to you. I mean, thank you yeah. for initiating this because I'm so glad I did it, even though it sounded like, oh, this was horrible. No, I'm so glad I did it. If yeah. I could go back in time, I would put myself into that again. Again, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much for you're welcome man doing all this and we definitely have to give a big shout out to dr brockenshire davis brockenshire innovative health solutions out of michigan he's a stud one of our partners if you're interested in a brain scan let me know you can go to the businessmethod.com forward slash brain scan and you can learn more about how we are helping entrepreneurs and executives get brain scans and optimize their performance level through this neuroscience and we've been doing it quite a bit and it is really on the cusp technology our brain scanner is not a joke. It is one of the top of the line devices that are out there today. And it is giving a lot of entrepreneurs and execs insights on how they can optimize their performance levels. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Props to Dr. Brockenshire for helping us understand what the hell the brain scanner is telling us. And more to come with that as well. If you're, if you're interested in a brain scanner, I can connect you with the guys at Wavi, Austin and Steve. And shout out to those guys we can get a brain scanner for you if you want your own. They're not cheap, but they're really awesome to have around. So just shoot me an email over at info at thebusinessmethod.com or go to that landing page, thebusinessmethod.com forward slash brain scan. We got to send a shout out to everybody that sent in questions, everyone that cheered us on, that was thinking about us when we were in a dark room. Thank you guys. And it helped us form this podcast and actually helped us revisit our own experience and, and ask ourselves those questions to jog those memories. So thank you guys. And also, actually, I want to thank Ron Lynch and Jesse Elder because I love you guys. You guys were in the dark room with me more than you know. You actually both messaged me the day I was going into the dark room, Ron, minutes before we closed the door. And just to say hi and check in, send in good thoughts. And I really appreciate that and love you guys. And then Leon, where can we find you at? 
Uh, Instagram is Leon J Hendricks. Hendricks is just with an X, and uh, yeah, just my YouTube channel. I guess you can just link it, right? Yeah, we'll link it in for yeah. sure. He'll have a video there if you want to see the visual aspect of what it was like down there. Yeah. Subscribe for the podcast. You can find us on all the platforms: uh, iTunes, Spotify. Leave a review if you liked it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you'll reach out if you do have a dark room experience or if you have questions. You can shoot us an email at info at thebusinessmethod.com. Find me on Instagram at Chris Reynolds Live, Chris Reynolds Live. Also in Facebook and YouTube, all of them are at Chris Reynolds Live. And I hope you have an incredible, magical experience. Signing off from the podcast, guys. See you all later.